Warren Buffett mentioned this quite briefly. He said that uh, sometimes when he, de- when he deals with risk and probability, he takes um, the potential of gain times the probability of gain mm. against the probability of loss times the, the, uh, the, the amount of loss. Yeah. And so it's like this, right, in decision theory. So at this price, let's say you're applying the, the Pascal's wages, at this price, how much do I have to lose or do I, how, much, how much do I have to gain? Correct. So let's say the company surprises the market and say, oh, we did 50 million or 60 million profit this year. Yeah. Okay, how much do you have to gain? I think maybe another 20 cents from the price. Yeah. Not much, right? Not much. But let's say the company disappoints the market. Yeah. Oh, okay. Then it's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> what do you have to lose? Yeah. <laughs> Before we begin the podcast, have you gotten your free ebook? It's called the Build a Six-Figure Portfolio Guidebook. Now, inside it, we share with you the tips and tricks to bring your stock investing skills to the next level. The best part, it's only 10 pages long and it's totally free. Whether you're on Spotify or YouTube, the link to download is in the description or you can go to www.firl.co. R-E-E or www.firo.co slash free. Hello everyone. Welcome back to the Firo Podcast. Best place for long-term stock investors. Now today, we have a good friend, mm-hmm. right? Uh, Mr. Leon. He has a very interesting uh, background. Actually, if you know, you know, if I know what uh, the background you're from, I would never imagine that you would become an investor. Right? <laughs> you have quite an artistic family. Yes. And then you yes. have a very sporty background. Yep. Yeah. So I then, but somehow you are now, uh, you know, managing uh, capital as well, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. For friends and family. But before we go there, right, we always like to start off with, you know, before investing, you know, what, what were you doing and what was it like? Give us a rundown of a 15-year-old Leon. Yeah. yeah. Okay, firstly, before we, we start, I want to thank you very much for you guys for having me on board. Mm-hmm. It's okay. my first podcast and I'm very honored to be here. So thank you very much. Um, so I would say that growing up, I, um, my family, especially my parents, growing up, in art, uh, growing up in a, with uh, artistic parents, my, my mom is a graphic designer, my mm. dad's an architect. And so they are artists like yeah. different type forms of artists in their yeah. own right yeah and um money and investment is not something that we usually talk about at home i see yeah let alone investments right mm-hmm. not let alone uh, real estate yeah. property you know and yeah stocks is just you never hear about it you just hear warren buffett once in a while on, on the tv and that's <laughs> it right and so um but i did grow up uh reading the bible mm. and so when you're young you tend to just skip the Old Testament. Oh, right? yes. Yeah, except yes. Genesis. Genesis, yes. you read the, 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 the story of Adam and Eve all the way to Jacob and yeah. Isaac, and then you kind of just stop there. Yeah. And then you skip the whole part. The book of Psalms, everything, you just yeah, skip. The really. fun part, they skip yeah. the fun <laughs> part. <laughs> yeah. And then you just go straight to Matthew, right? Yes. Because that's yeah. about Jesus. Everyone's yeah. reading about yeah. Jesus. <laughs> so growing up, uh, I, of course, uh, yeah, you, you just generally just go through the, the first four Gospels mm-hmm. of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And Matthew in particular, because that's the first book in the New mm. Testament. So I always remember this particular parable and always stuck to me. And so it's the parable of the talents. Mm. So um, for the benefit of the, the listener, the parable of the talents is basically a story about 
uh, a master that goes on this journey. Mm. And he and before he goes on this journey, he entrusts uh, his wealth to three of his servants, each according to his own ability. Mm. So uh, the first servant is entrusted with five talents. Mm -hmm. The second servant is entrusted with two talents and the servant only one, mm. according to his ability. And so for just some context, a talent is not uh, actual act ability. A talent actually is about 32 kilograms of silver. Mm. And those days, it takes about 6,000 dinaris okay. to, to actually be able to buy one, one talent, talent, right? And one dinaris is basically one day's worth of wages. Mm, wow. So in order to uh, own that much wealth, even just one talent takes about, I think the math works out about 18 to 20 years wow. of work. One talent. Yeah, assuming that you don't work on the Sabbath, mm. you don't work on, on Sundays, mm -mm. right? Wow. So 18 to 20 years just to earn one talent. So imagine five talents is almost, it's your whole five, life. Uh, five lifetimes. No, the, uh, yeah. one, one whole lifetime. 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 Denari is the currency for the Romans, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The in Roman the Roman currency. Empire yeah, during correct. that time. Yeah. yeah. And so he entrusts five, two and one. Mm. And so interesting enough, uh, depending on the translation, both of the first two uh, servants invested their, their, their talents actually got, and they got 100% back. So mm. the first one got five back. So altogether 10 talents, yep. the second one, two back and altogether four. But interestingly, the, the, the last one, decided to bury his master's, bury the, his master's talents into the crowd, <laughs> right? So when the master came back, the master says, you know, uh, good and faithful servant to the first two ones, you, and, uh, you have done very well and come and join and share in your master's uh, happiness, mm. right? But uh, to the third one, it's, it's not, he didn't get the same treatment, la, right? So the third one, he, the, he told the, the servant, uh, you wicked, uh, you you wicked and lazy servants, <laughs> right? You should you could have at least put my money into the bank and for me to gain interest on it, mm. right? So that's very interesting, right? And so after that, uh, he he banishes his uh, his uh, the the third servant that did not make anything out of his mm. um, out of his uh, his talent, and so it always stuck in my mind because this is about investing. Yes, it's not really about depending on the interpretation, but to me, the interpretation is just purely about managing one's money, mm. managing one's capital, right? And so what's interesting about this is that at the end of the parable, it says that to ever who has even more will be given to them and he will have abundance. Mm -hmm. And to, to everyone, uh, to those who has, even more will be taken away from them. Mm. Interesting, to everyone who does not have, even what they have, it will be taken away from them. And so at the end of the parable, the master takes the, the, the one talent and gives it to the first guy with then manages to double the five talents. Mm. So then, but this part, I couldn't really, I didn't really know the, the meaning behind it until I started investing and mm. I learned about compound interest mm. and how money worked. And then I realized, oh, to everyone who has even more be given to them, for everyone who does not have, even more be taken away. That's compound interest. That's right. And, and inflation. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and inflation, right? And so I was like, then, you know, when you go, you go back to it and you read it again, it's like, wait, the Bible is talking about compound interest. Oh, yes. And compound interest, and to, in order to successfully manage your money and your wealth, you got to understand compound interest. Yes. Because if you don't, the likelihood of you losing your wealth is quite, is high. It's because, high. Because of the fact that you don't understand how compound interest works. Yeah. Right. 
so great so that that was kind of how i i yeah how it planted a seed in in my mind mm. and then i remember when the first time i got my first salary straight away i started saving up mm. right, nice. to buy my first stock Wonderful. gotta make the master happy man <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> but why, why stock why not property or whatever that you know it's a very typical asian thing yeah, yeah. you know why 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 stop of um, all things yeah okay so that's that's also an interesting story i think uh, during that time as well, I was also also reading uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad mm. by Robert Kiyosaki, and Robert Kiyosaki, I believe at that time he was like the pioneer for saying that oh, like real estate is not necessarily an asset. Mm. <laughs> okay, and so, uh, but the thing about stocks is that okay, this is also related to my background, okay, uh, my educational background because. Mm. Uh, so I was very privileged to go to England to do my A-levels. I see. So I got, I managed to secure a scholarship to study in an A-level, a sort of a private college in, in the UK. Mm. And over there, I managed to study philosophy. I see. And, um, and after that, for my degree, I did philosophy, politics, and economics. PPE. Yeah, PPE, I did PPE. Ah. And so equities, from the get-go, I knew it was an intellectual challenge. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it really appealed to me. Mm. And so so the the theological part was the one that first planted the seed. Mm. But, it was, but, but it's because of my interest in philosophy mm. that it really, uh, as, as I was looking into investing and uh, studying how investing works, how to analyze companies, then I started to see some of the parallels with philosophy and investing. Wow. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And I and I think uh, for me, I'm personally, um, I, w I, I wouldn't go as far to say I'm an intellectual, <laughs> but, <laughs> but to engage in, in intellectual inquiry, right? Um, I think that really appeals to me, you know? And so, um, that, 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 so that's, that's how I got into to equities. And yeah. also at the same time, I saw some parallels there. So um, one really, one as I was studying philosophy, we learned um, this principle called Occam's Razor. Ah, yes. Okay, Occam's Razor. And it's applied, it's applied you can apply it to business, apply it to marketing, Correct. apply it to yeah, even yeah. investing as I discovered. Yeah. And so um, what Occam's Razor states is that, uh, or if all things being equal, the simplest solution is often the best one. Yes. So then the William of Ockham, who, who invented this, uh, invented his Ockham's razor, he elaborates that uh, in order to explain anything, you do not necessarily have to increase the amount of entities uh, beyond reason in order to explain it, right? And so what he means is that when you have to explain something, you always have to deal with variables mm. and you have to deal with factors. But when it comes to complicated things or even just anything as well, you don't, it's, actually even better if we keep removing the extraneous variables and then you make it simpler and simpler. Yes. So to, for me, in investing, that was interesting because then it actually breaks it down, right? Yeah. Because when you look, in, look into a company, you are faced with- All sorts of variables. Yeah, a, a sea of information. Yes. Where do you start? Yeah. Right? Like, like for example, like what does this company do? Where is it in the value chain? Yes. The financial part? What's yes. the, man the management part? How is it valued in the market? Et cetera, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So it really helps to have um, have that foundation of having a how to, not to, it's not even there to even give you that frame of reference, but yeah. showing you how to shape your frame of reference, so to speak. Actually, it's so interesting you mentioned that, that because on the way here, I was listening to podcast of uh, Gary Tan, mm. who is one of the early backers of um, Coinbase. 
and he was actually a partner at Y Combinator. And what he said, right, um, for, for Y Combinator to sieve through so much pitching, uh, they narrow it down to 10 minutes. Right. So what he said is very simple. It's very, very related to your point is that every time uh, someone like, like, you know, Shark Tank, right? Mm -hmm. You have a very short pitch and then you have to pitch your idea mm -hmm. very yeah, eloquently yeah, yeah, and concisely. Yeah, yeah. He said, a lot of the founders or founders who try to pitch to Y Combinator and don't get the funding, he says, oh, if only I had more time. He said, no, 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 no. You if, you can't, if you can't pitch your idea in 10 minutes, you've lost the game. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, shouldn't be, it shouldn't be that complicated. Exactly. Your idea. Exactly. And Gary was, uh, I, and I salute him because he was uh, very upfront. He was saying that when he first started going into this game, he was worried that it would be too complicated for him to understand as, yeah. as uh, that one. But uh, his mentor, I can't, Paul Graham, right, was telling him, no. And he gave a very, a, a very insightful example, which was Theranos. Because Theranos made it so complicated, and we obviously know what happened to the Theranos saga, made it so complicated that they couldn't understand it. <laughs> mm. and, and, that, yeah. and he gave the analogy is this. It's like a gift wrapped in gold paper. Mm. Most people focus on the gold paper, but mm. not the gift inside. Mm. The essence. The mm. essence of the it. The essence, the core of it. Yeah, the core yeah. of it. And you should not need more exactly. than 10 minutes yeah. to describe Occam's razor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Occam's. I, I, actually, just to add to your point, yeah. right? This is something I just uh, realized also. Yeah. Um, so you know what we do, both of us do, yeah. right? Um, like if, if I ask uh, like a doctor what they do, they just say a doctor, people kind of get it. Yeah. But do you realize for us, when people ask us what we do, right? It's like, where do I start? <laughs> so, so I don't know what's yeah. yours, but yeah. my, my Occam Razor response is, I just talk about stocks and crypto on YouTube. But you know what, you know what I do? I, I go even simpler, yeah. you know? I look at a guy, depending on my yeah, judgment yeah. call of yeah, who the yeah, guy yeah. is, yeah. I just say I'm a YouTuber. Oh, right. I just, I just okay. stopped there. I just stopped there. Right, no, right, that right, works yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a great... Uh, uh, I, I remember the, 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 the description that I was uh, given when I was learning about Occam's Razor mm. was don't multiply your factors beyond necessity, something along Yeah, yeah, beyond right. necessity, that's yeah. the word. Right. Yeah, so, that's, yeah. the um, that's a great segue into... Um, so now you know, you know, the Bible tells you that, hey, please... Please mm. invest, right? Mm. Like God is telling you, please invest. You know? <laughs> so you can't can't disagree, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, um, I think I think sometimes when for those who, um, uh, I mean, regardless if you're a Christian or not, uh, yeah. there's some people who have this assumption that God is not interested in money. I think that's not true. You know, even in Islam, they teach you that entrepreneurship is actually more valuable than just living life. It is. I, I mean, I'm of yeah. course I'm paraphrasing here. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. But they said that the entrepreneur is actually well, very well regarded in the religion as well. Yeah, actually, okay. even yeah. even in investing as well, if you look at Sharia compliant client, uh, yeah. Sharia compliant companies, yes, they're meant to reduce your risk. Yes, exactly. Right. It's, they're not. They're not there just because they're trying to impose some kind of uh, religious law. Correct. You know, but uh, I mean, of course, this touches a little bit on so-called faith-based investing, right? Right. But I do think that you know that having that sort of um, a list of Sharia compliant clients actually reduces the amount of risk that investors are are, are willing to take because you know um, there are a lot of people who don't know who still don't know yet mm -hmm. how to to analyze companies and Correct. so if you just look at the Sharia compliant clients uh, companies then you know that these companies have. Uh, Low giving ratio. Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they don't engage in uh, 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 gaming. industries, gaming, alcohol, tobacco, yeah. and stuff like that. That 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 harms people. Okay, yeah. so to speak. Right. Which is right. It's quite. 
I don't know whether you can call it ESG. Yes, it's ESG. <laughs> yeah, it's it's ESG. Almost way ahead of the curve, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah actually, actually, it's true because actually there, there's a certain movement in the US. They call it faith-based investing, mm -hmm. which yeah. is similar to like Sharia Sharia style of investing, uh -huh. where they they where some of the the things that they look at is is uh, is they. Human well-being is one of the things that I prioritize, right? Mm, yeah, yeah. So, like the com like for example, the companies that they, they they the companies that the industries that these companies are engaged in, mm -hmm. they they can't exceed a certain amount of revenue from alcohol, gaming, tobacco, things that actually harm human health. Yeah, right. And uh, of course, giving ratio is one of the things. Yeah. And I also, uh, I think I believe that a a, a significant component of faith-based investing as well is that, um. That the, the the there's a certain percentage where the the company shouldn't be making from uh, In, uh interest interest yeah interest Re right yeah, rebound yeah so yeah. like financial companies and all that mm, yes yeah yeah yes, so yeah. That, that's that's more to do with uh, um biblical principles yeah I suppose yeah but ESG is actually very similar yeah. I would say to yes. to faith based investing so I think that's very interesting because then now there's a more emphasis on the the sanctity of life human well being yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, and the environment as well. Of course, the environment part you can argue if uh, it's uh, really <laughs> yeah, biblical yeah. or not. Yeah. yeah, but the parallels between ESG and uh, and uh, so called so called religious based investing is, I think, is very interesting. Wow, and I and I think uh, I think of course in the short term is is not good for investors. Yes, but I think in the long term is good. I think yeah, it's, it's good for many the, people. The word uh, is sustainable, right? I sustainable. think that's the key word. Uh. You, yeah. you nailed it. Uh. That's right. Sustainability. sustainability over the long term is more important than gains over the short term. Correct. Yeah. Especially when you're an investor that, you know, that you're investing in the long term mm -hmm. and you want your companies to be engaging in sustainable, sustainable measures. And I know it's such a cliche thing to yeah. say these days, sustainability, <laughs> sustainable growth. It's a buzzword. You know? uh. yeah, it's a buzzword. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's but, also like, it's always subject to the specific company or the specific industry. Like, what is mm -hmm. sustainable? Let's say for a company in Perak, it's not going to be the same for Correct. for Malay, uh, let's say KL. Yeah. But and now on a, so you know if I look at your journey, right? So mm -hmm. I think it was the faith that kind of got you into interested in investing, mm -hmm. and then it was your uh, when you were studying uh, your degree. That's when it drew you to stocks, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. how do you um, over time develop the way you look at investing? Like, what's your style? I guess. Okay, what's my style? Mm. Yeah. Okay, this is interesting. Actually, as a philosopher, we always have to first define the premise, right? <laughs> what is value? What's your hypothesis? First? Yeah. So, yeah. so like for the first thing is like, okay, let's say let's say I'm a value investor. Then the following question would be, what is value? How do right. you define value, right? Mm. So now there's this thing going on right now, like, oh, I'm a value investor. I'm, I'm a growth, growth investor. investor. <laughs> okay, let's say let's say you you take the technical analyst analyst aside, then you have momentum investing. Yeah. And, uh, Growth investing, value investing. So what does it mean, right? So I think for me, I define I define value as a, a significant margin between the company, the, my estimation of the company's intrinsic value mm. versus the stock price currently in question. Mm. So I do think that's that that is more of uh, the accurate and more relevant definition of value yeah. these days. Of I course, uh, maybe during those days in the, the early warm, early Buffett or Graham, Graham time, yeah. value means low PE, uh, companies trading close in that tangible assets or below the net tangible assets. Yeah. And uh, with uh, reasonable earnings power, you know, with yeah. the, the, the inversion of an E over P. Yeah. Yeah. So I think now what's what's more relevant, especially in Bursa now, is uh, 
net profit, mm. right? And so what is your estimation of the company's net profit? And even then it's not, it's not so clear, right? So yeah. it could be one year, two years, five years, 10 years. So what, well, what, what is your estimation of the company's intrinsic value? And also depending on the time interval as well. Correct, correct. And also right. sometimes the PE compression and PE expansion. So whether or not the E is- uh, Right, yeah, right. Yeah. So, so I, I was supposed that I, I apply Occam's razor to my style of valuation mm. because now, now I'm saying that, okay, value is basically like, okay, I can, I'm able to uh, value this company at, at, if I, if I were to buy it or were to invest into it, I would, I'm able to value this company significantly higher than its current stock price. Mm. Right. So in order to do that, there are two significant components, your estimation, of the company's net profit in the mm -hmm. future, mm -hmm. uh, depending on what time interval yep. and the, the PE that you want to assume, Correct. the PE growth that you want to use. Mm. Okay. This is, uh, so why I don't use discount cash flow is because, uh, I don't, I, I think especially I'm not, I can't, I can't quite say if it's more relevant in Bursa, uh, the P, the P style of valuation than it is in other forms of markets. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think the, the, that, that is particularly clear, right? Yeah. But of course, depending on analysts, you have different ways of valuing the company. I think different business natures as well. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So a lot of the small cap companies or so-called growth companies, example, they don't have free cash flow. Yeah. Right. So discount cash flow becomes a bit more difficult mm. for you to use. Yeah. And so also an application of Occam's razor because discount cash flow has so many variables here. Correct. Beta, you It's have, the opposite of Occam's razor. Yeah, right? yeah, it's the opposite. You have ERP premium, Yeah. right? And cash flow. And then, then you have to decide the risk-free rate yes. as well, right? Depending then the terminal on which value again. <laughs> and the terminal value, right? Yeah. So there's so many. And then each component has, a, has its own way of calculating, yeah. right? So... It, it's very it's it's fun you know like a little bit of spice and everything nice blah blah, blah spreadsheet but engineers yeah yeah but um, <laughs> I think yeah with with more variables I think it just becomes very complicated mm. and even depending if you're a Buffett follower then you don't use beta I believe Buffett doesn't use beta right, yeah, calculations right. yeah, 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 yeah. Beta, yeah. so yeah. but if you're more like following uh, Damodaran Aswav Damodaran style then you will have to use beta, beta and correct. it. but where do you get your beta yeah right yeah. Like, is it from like Yahoo Finance or your own version. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So, so I decided, okay, I think discount cash flow is fun, but mm. I, I, I think it's better to stay away from it. So yeah. I use the PE style, right? And so I would say that, yes, I'm a value investor in so far as that I'm able to use this method of valuation, mm. you know, mm. and, and if I were to decide to go into a company, then mm. I will use, I will, I'll be able to find a significant uh Difference, so, I mean, dif margin of safety, is, mm. if you will, mm -hmm. uh, between after using PE and the company's uh, net profit in the future, and then so finding it, a it sounds to me that you've uh, it's like a interesting mix of uh, traditionally or what is commonly understood to be value and growth, right? Yes. Where does yeah. growth fit into your 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 thinking? Growth. Okay, I think uh, the thing. I would say that, okay, so for growth, I would say that companies who are, who are defined as growth companies are the ones that have net profits increasing every year mm. and, the sh and the share price have also, uh, also reflected, also, reflected right? that, that performance, yeah. reflected that, right? And okay, yes, it's also about momentum as well. And so um, 
the th- okay, let's 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 take for example uh SuperConnect. Yeah. Okay. So SuperConnect, uh MJ and I we attended the briefing. Yep. And at that time I was in talks with some investors because that SuperConnect is uh is a growth company. Yeah. Right? It's trading at a P above fifty. Mm. I think right now it's, it's lower than fifty now, it's about forty something, yep. right? But at that time the price was about one ringgit eighty cents, right? And so yes, it's a growth company, and yes, that the company is expected to make a profit. Mm. Uh, I think at that time, analysts were making or were, were for forecasting a profit of about forty million for FY two thousand twenty-two. Okay. Okay. So 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 I I did uh this is this of course that I I've also studied the company before mm-hmm. and and then I found out that okay, assuming that the is five year mean is about P of thirty, mm-hmm. and let's assume that the profit the company is successful. In making uh, in reporting a profit of forty million, yeah. Then you will realize that this market cap at one thousand two hundred, uh, sorry, one billion two hundred one point one point two billion, uh, is already priced in at the price of one ringgit eighty cent. Yeah, I think even at one ringgit sixty cents, at to one ringgit eighty cents, one ringgit eighty cents is already way past that profit already. Correct. So this is this is okay. This is a growth company, and yes, most likely it will continue growing. But at this price, is it's it cheap in. or not? Is it baked in? Already? It's baked in already. It's yeah. priced in. So yeah. to me, it was priced in. And so even though this company is great, it's one of its kind in Bursa. Mm. It's got all these things going on where its management is uh, is they're super very they're, yeah. There's a super super management. Yeah, and the company's won very well. It's got a great outlook, but yet. The price is not cheap. So where's your margin of safety, you see? Yeah, exactly. Where's yeah. the margin, right? So yeah. let's say, yeah, maybe I can buy at one ringgit sixty cents. Yeah. But okay, so this is where like the other part uh, of philosophy comes into play. Okay, this is about probability, right? Yes. And so I remember when I read the Intelligent Investor. Mm. Uh, Jason Zweig did a very well, very fantastic commentary. Yeah. It was beautiful actually, yeah. because of Jason Zweig's commentary. The Intelligent Investor was such a beautiful book to read. Yeah, exactly. Right, you got Graham's style of writing. Yeah, and then you which have is Jason the 1930s Zwick. English, you know, my yeah, God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I have to thank Jason Zwick for that. So he he quotes uh, Peter Bernstein. Mm. And so I think he's a kind of like uh, like uh, an investor philosopher. Mm-hmm. So I, I know he, he wrote a book called Against the Gods, mm. right? But I've not ah, read the book risk, yet. Right? Something yeah, risk, risk Against the Gods. So yeah, I right. thought it was pretty interesting. But he quotes Peter Bernstein and Peter Bernstein quotes uh, Blaise Pascal. Mm. So Blaise Pascal was a physicist yes. and he was a, a theologian as well, I yeah. believe. And so so there's this thing called Pascal's wager, mm. yeah. right? So that's what I like about the parallels between philosophy and investing, right? So in Pascal's wager, basically one ha- what, in life, one has to assume either God exists or don't, right? <laughs> so, so let's say you assume God doesn't exist, mm. right? You're able to go in life, just doing whatever you want, that you just succumb to desires. You mm. just, you know, you just do whatever you want, enjoy yourself. Yeah. Right. But what are you wagering? You're wagering your soul, right? Mm. And then what do you have to lose? Let's say if you're wrong, God exists. Uh, God does not exist and you're wrong. Then <laughs> your loss is infinite. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. So that's terrible, right? Yeah. But let's say you, you, you assume God exists. You assume, right? Let's say you, 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 you objectively, Okay, let, let's put that aside. But let's yeah. say you just assume God exists and you go about your life um, as if he's watching. Be, yeah, as if he's watching, behaving in such a way that mm. you that you at least uh, follow some of the some some of the, basic the principles, tenets, uh. the basic tenets, the basic principles, you know, in whatever religion that you follow. Mm. And what do you okay? What do you have to gain and what do you have to lose? Mm. Right? What you lost. Even after you die, I'm sure you probably won't be thinking. Oh, I know, I should have done this. Yeah. Maybe yes, maybe maybe, but. 
let's but then let's say you assume God exists. What if you're wrong? God doesn't mm. exist. After dying, you, you didn't lo- you don't lose anything, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. Become dust, but, yeah, you just you just become dust. You don't think you don't think. Oh, I should have done this, yeah. right? Because if God doesn't exist, then you just you don't even think anymore, right? Mm. You you just you're just not correct, right? But let's say if you're right, the gain is infinite, correct? Right. So this there's this there's this, and so it, he's kind of like the pioneer in decision theory and probability, mm. right? Mm. So Warren Buffett mentioned this quite briefly. He said that. Uh, sometimes when it when he deals with risk and probability, he takes um, the potential of gain times the probability of gain mm. against the probability of loss times the the uh, the, the amount of loss. Yeah. And so it's like this, right? In decision theory, so at this price, let's say you're applying the the Pascal's wages. At this price, how much do I have to lose, or do I, how much how much do I have to gain? Correct. So let's say the company surprises the market. Say, oh, we did. 50 million or 60 million profit this year. Yeah. Okay. How much do you have to gain? I think maybe another 20 cents from the price. Yeah. Not much, right? Not much. But let's say the company disappoints the market. Yeah. Oh, okay. Then it's a different story. <laughs> <laughs> what do you have to lose? Yeah. Actually, it sounds, <laughs> in a way, if I could draw parallels, it's kind of like the Kelly's criterion in a way, but in a way, Kelly cri- criterion simplifies yeah, right, right, what, right. whatever yep, the, the yep. probabilities that you mentioned and the mm-hmm, odds are. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that you mentioned, and I want to follow up with a question of this. When you look at all these probabilities and discipline and mm-hmm, all that kind mm-hmm. of thing, right? I want to draw uh, probably parallels to to your your sporting life, because mm-hmm. right, yeah. because you see, whenever you take the shot, right? I mean, we we mm-hmm. both play badminton. Mm-hmm. Just for some context, yeah. we have a national. We have a, no, we have someone who spars with Tan Bun Hyong. <laughs> yeah, <anyways>. sometimes <laughs> and wins. Yeah, so. yeah. So so when you when you take that shot, right? Either a line shot or body shot, whatever. It's a calculated risk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right? Because if you're going against Tan Bun Hyong when he's mm. smashing that shuttle at 400 kilometers. I'm going to link this hour. to him late uh, when the podcast comes out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. But apparently, it doesn't smash nowadays. You know, it's a bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think it's also partly due to injury as yeah, well. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But uh, I, I guess you know where I'm going from with this. Mm. Whenever you take that shot, that particular shot, are you knowing that the opponent, let's say, is, is equally skilled, even better than mm, you? Yeah. When you take that net shot or a drop shot, right? Mm. You better make sure it's tight because yeah, yeah. if it's not tight, yeah. then you know he's gonna either tap you back exactly. or whatever, right? Exactly. But then before you can even get there, it's a muscle memory building through training and all that. And Absolutely. I want to draw that parallels to investing because mm-hmm. what you've just mentioned or what we just the three of us just discussed was some kind of a muscle memory that's built right, over right. a methodology. So. Yeah. Maybe first question is how do you draw parallels to sports mm. and investing? That's one. Okay. And you being a philosopher, I'm pretty sure you've got a lot to say. Mm. Second thing is that is it something right for everyone? And how do you keep at that game in a sense that how do you uh, overcome disappointments? Yeah, because yeah. I'm pretty sure there are times when your game was so bad, mm, yeah. and then you look at in parallels your investing was so bad. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, I hope I'm not, you know, putting you- No, I'm trying to remember the questions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. First yeah. question okay. is maybe- What are the parallels between sports and-, uh, and Sports, sports and, and especially probabilities yeah, yeah, yeah. and muscle memory. Right, right. And then second thing is whether uh, it is something that everyone can take. Everyone can actually stomach in a sense of mm. building that muscle memory. Is, is that something for everyone from your perspective? Uh, sorry, sports? Yeah, or? sports or investing. 
Because right. I see parallel, ma. I mean, I don't know where they yeah, use. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, uh, okay, for those badminton fans out there listening to this podcast, I think for those who've, who've seen world-class badminton for quite some time, yeah. know that the the that among the top, there are the, the Malaysian national players. Let's say let's say doubles, okay, because yeah. we both play men's doubles. Yes, yes. So let's, and, and most people play men's doubles, so it's because it's the, the most uh, most of, most social social Game. social type of uh, badminton, right? Yeah. And so okay, let let's say let's say we analyze some of the 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 world class players have been around for for past ten years. Let's yeah. say okay, Pak so Kim yeah, Kimonsu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there. you have the Korean players, yes. right? You have the the Chinese players, you yeah. have the Indonesian players, Malaysian players, and you have the the Danish players. Yes. But let's say like if you look at the their track record for winning world champs and Olympics. Overwhelmingly, is the Chinese, yes, especially in any men's doubles, yeah, right. Of course, the last, the last Olympics, it was the Taiwanese, yeah. but the Taiwanese have a very strong attacking style as well, correct, right? Okay, and so this is interesting. They are they're, they're, they're Chinese ethnically, right? yeah, <laughs> ethnically, okay, okay, we not go there, ethnically, yeah. So, so um, this is this is an interesting analysis, I think, because mm. one of the one of the arguably most famous men's doubles players out there, the most, if you think the most uh, famous men's doubles player right now is that has had a very long track record is actually Lee Yong Day. Oh yes. Lee Yong Day, right? So, but what characterizes Lee Yong Day's style is very strong defense. Mm. But for some reason, when it comes to world, big world championships, so let's say in 2014 he lost to he lost to his his Korean uh, counterpart uh, other other Korean uh, other pal- counterparts which is Ko Ko and Shin yeah right and they have a very different style from mm. Leon Day because mm. Leon Day is characterized by his very strong defense but mm. his attacking is not so strong yes but he's extremely consistent yes but when it comes to the big ones uh, he tends to he tends to not you know he he hasn't won uh, he, he's won a gold yeah. in the mixed doubles yes. when he was very young when he was about eighteen right. but ever since when he Focus into his men's doubles hasn't been able to win the the really really big ones, you mm. know, like the, the Olympics yeah. and the, the World Champs. I can't quite remember if Leon did actually won the World Champs. I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah, too. I don't think so. And so and so, why is it that when it when it comes to the big games, it's usually the pairs who who go who adopt a very attacking style, the ones that win the big ones, and it's because the attacking style is actually reduces the risk of mistake more mm. than the defensive style. Correct. So of course in Malaysia, we have Malaysian pairs. I'm not going to name anyone, but <laughs> our Malaysian pairs are famous for defend, defend, right? Lifting, defend, yes. lift, defend, yeah. defend. Of course, now the younger ones, their style is much more different now. Yeah. But of course those days, right? It was just defend, defend, defend. A lot of defending and then, you know, counter attack, yeah. okay? But the thing about that is that defending and counter attacking, of course, is also a style and it's very legitimate in terms of his style, but mm. it's, you need quite a lot of skill. Correct. And the thing about skill is that it's got a higher margin for error. Correct. So so that's that's how I draw the, the this, distinction. This is exactly <laughs> what I'm trying to say. And going back to your talent, right? Mm. The guy who buried the talent is not risk-taking. Mm. But at the same time, if you attack, then you yeah. have to think about probabilities of attack. Because, exactly. Because if you think about guys like George Soros, when it really mattered, he doubled down. Right, right, exactly. Right, Kelly's criterion, you double down because what's the upside probability, what's the downside probability? Exactly. And that, that's why I was trying to, you know, tap on your opinion or your your, your thoughts on this because as a, as, a, as an athlete, when you play, mm. it's a lot about probabilities. Are you exactly. going to take the line shot? Are you going to, are, exactly. are you going to smash the body? Are you going to... <laughs> and this is not like you can't, you can just think about it all day. And yeah, you're like, oh, you're you're trying to buy it. It's muscle memory, it's, man. <laughs> 
you got zero point zero one second to think about this. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then and then you know like like in a world championship, right? You like the moment you start working, it it, it, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, you'll yeah. be like you still have to straight away think. No, you if you once you reach that point where you have to start thinking a lot, and yeah. you yeah, it's you need muscle memory needs to come into play, yes, and instincts yes. as well. Yeah, so that's where training comes in, right? But yeah. I think uh, that part about risk is really. I think a lot of people misconstrue what risk is. Yes. Because, uh, you know, like in Pascal's wager, there are a lot of things that you have to decide mm. what to do. You can't be, you, you can't be neither yes or no. Yes. Right. You either it's, it's always either yes or no. Yes. And even if it's no, you're also taking a risk. Yes. For example, let's say you know, I want to invest. Yes. Then you're taking a risk. Yes. I want to invest. No. That is also a risk. A risk. Yeah. Exactly. But right? people don't understand this. Yeah, but <laughs> exactly. So, so <laughs> yeah. sometimes language can be a bit and en trapping, right? Because yeah. like, oh, I'm not. I don't want to take the risk of investing, <laughs> but they don't realize that like not taking the risk, you're also taking a risk. risk. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So actually, I think in life as well, like you can't avoid taking risk. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a similar par parallels would be like you know getting a a, a, a romantic partner, right? Mm, like yes. a lot of a lot of people don't want to get into rent because they take the risk of heartbreak, but they don't realize if they don't don't do that also they're also taking <laughs> other risk. forms of risk of risk. So them if you do that if you don't might as well might as well go for it right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So and I I guess as well uh, in investing as well as in relationships as well as a lot of trial and error. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's why I think uh, one thing that is important to to layer on the the risk question right is actually recovery. Yeah. Mm. So like a lot of people don't factor this in. They only analyze the risk from the perspective of whether the thing will work out or whether mm, it will yeah, work yeah. out. Mm -hmm. But they don't ask, right? Like, okay, if I, uh, if I do this, right? Based on the probability, if I get it wrong, can I try again? Mm. Yes. And that's where Kelly criterion actually yeah, comes yeah. in. Kelly Correct. criterion is not merely um, how to calculate the risk and reward properly. It's based on the risk and reward. How much should you bet? Yes, mm -hmm. exactly. It's how heavy. Yeah. yeah. So if, if it's heavily in your favor, the heavier you Correct. bet, because it's more likely, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Then if it's the reverse, then you bet smaller. So Correct. I think uh, that's probably something that I would add mm -hmm. to 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 this conversation. Yeah. But um, yeah, anything else you want to ask about the sports? No, no. I think the the second part, which was it's, like, is it something that everyone should stomach? Because yeah. everybody sees the guy smashing at four hundred or the guy being so accurate, but doesn't understand that. Uh, the this, work that's been put the into work has it. been put in. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. that's where that's where I wanted to ask on in, in your opinion, what are the parallels you see? Because yeah. it's like probably you know MJ asked me how to hit backhands. Actually, I mm, did try to come. Right, right. I said, asking, can you teach me? They say, uh, this one need few weeks. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> there was one game he was playing with me. I said, yeah, yeah. hey John, how do you how do you execute a backhand? The said, backhand uh, clear, is yeah. it? Yeah. The, yeah, yeah. No, no, just a basic one. <laughs> oh, just the, okay. Yeah, okay. So yeah. some contests because I, I I actually play more back in the day. I play more tennis than. All oh, right, yeah. right. So once you once you play tennis, right? You don't have a backhand has, grip, right? In tennis, no, you do, but oh. your 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 wrist is fixed. I see. I see. Yeah, 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 like yeah. You, you actually hit, then you you maybe flick at right at the end. Yeah. Right? you are using your elbow more. I see. Than, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In badminton, you need to have quite a lot of wrist work yeah. because. Yeah. Uh, 
Actually, I think in badminton, there's so much, so many joints involved. Oh, yeah. Right. yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, have the, the shoulder, the rotator cuff, you have the elbow. So even here, even this, this part of the yeah. Yeah. yeah, even just isolating this part, you have three joints to work with, right? Correct, exactly. correct, exactly. correct. You know? So he was asking me to teach him backhand while we were in the game. Yeah. I just said, it's okay. I <laughs> it's think okay. we can, we can, we can. <laughs> but, yeah. but staying on the topic of badminton, I think there's a very fascinating, and I think all Malaysians would like can to relate hear, to it. Yeah. No, would like to hear this part and, yeah. and to make this distinction. So um, you gave the exact, so I don't really follow men's doubles because mm -hmm. uh, I'm a casual watcher, mm -hmm. which means I only watch Everyone singles. Everyone watches men's singles, right? Yeah. Yeah. right? So I think I always draw like the parallels of uh, Lee Chong Wei and Lin Dan, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Because, yeah. right, you, Lee Chong Wei, right, is always world number one. Okay. But he always loses to Lin Dan. Yes. yes. Right? In the yes. finals, yes. 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 sadly. But I think that that's something very interesting because the way I look at it is, like what what do you actually want as an investor if you are like in lindan's camp you want that home runs and all that mm -hmm. yeah but someone like lee chong Wei, he's doing the small stuff consistently mm. he's yeah, getting yeah, like yeah. that yeah five percent ten percent five percent ten percent every time yeah, that's yeah. why he, he will always be world number one right because yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like the floyd floyd May, mayweather and uh, uh manny pacquiao fight mm. right yeah he was he was playing to the game and he was scoring points whereas the casual watcher is like no, he's getting his uh, butt yeah, kicked yeah, by yeah, Manny Pacquiao. Yeah, then yeah. I said, like, huh, how did he win? <laughs> how did, yeah, he was like defending the scoring run, points. Run. Yeah. 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 So what, like, how do you, like, what does this mean to you? Like, how do you draw this? Like, should, should we be a Lee Chong Wei? Should we be a Lin Dan when Correct. it comes to investing? Do you want to score Ooh. the home runs or do you it's want to score? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. some guys can scrape 10%, 10%, yeah, 10%. that's Lee Chong Wei. Or some guy wants like, no, Big I want 15, 20 baggers. Yeah. One he's, shot. He's yeah. Got, yeah. <laughs> okay. I think uh I th I suppose I suppose that these two systems and models they're not exactly yeah. exact. Yeah. But yeah. I, I understand what MJ is getting yeah, yeah, at. Yeah. Right. And so I think that's why if it's even more is even more important why uh investors choose to become long-term investors. Mm. Right. It's because that you have this extra component of time. Yes. Right. And I believe that that's like that the time is also equivalent to the little bit of extra something that Lin Dan has. Yes. Right. So he, so I think, uh, for example, Buffett also said that you know you only need to have uh, twenty punch cards, right? Yeah. Something like that yes. in order for you to get rich through investing, and that's it. Yeah. Right. You need to have that correct twenty so-called long-term trades. Yes. And yeah. then you've already made made your. Made, made quite a decent amount yeah, yeah, of money, correct, right? Correct. But whilst like the 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 parallel, f I, I suppose in this case, Lee Chong Wei can be represented as sort of like the more um, short term trader or short term investor because yeah. they they try and make the little bit of five percent, ten percent, correct, right? And yeah, and I think the extra advantage, I I, I suppose, to the benefit of listeners that always think about time. Yeah. Right. Even if you buy at a company at fair value or overpriced or at a price that's overvalued, mm. you can still make money because you have time at your side. Mm. Whereas the the short term investor or the trader, so to speak, or technical uh, technical analysis that they they are working against time. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they have to do this within this time. Correct. Of course. Uh, this occurs in the finance industry as well. Yes. But uh, yeah, I think uh, it becomes all the more difficult and stressful for you, especially when you want to work against time and you just, you're you trying to push yourself, be like, oh, you know, I want to make 20% gain or like, oh, I lost this money. Let me realize the loss yeah. and try to make it back. Yes. But you know, like let's say a stock goes down 50%, in order to make it back is 100% gain. Correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, 
yeah so i guess in this in uh just to 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 go back to that lindan so to speak lindan yeah. point right is that with time you're able to get those home runs and and the thing i would add i just realized so is that uh Lindan picks what competitions that he plays in. Ah, yes, yes. yes. But yeah. Lee Chong-wei takes everything. Lee, Lee, Lee Chong-wei. And Lindan is not, he's, he's even okay with paying the fine because there's this, uh, I think it's either the association of BWF Correct. that stipulates that you have to pay, you have to play a certain amount of tournaments. Yes. Because uh, it's for the sponsors. Yes. It's for the watch but he, time. He doesn't care. He's he doesn't like, no, care. I'm going to take a break. Yeah. You know? look, look at hours. He understands so. how to pace himself. Yeah, That's very important. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Look at three of us, man. Flaming uh, Lee Chong. <laughs> <laughs> so patriotic of us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But okay, look, I, I think <laughs> I think that, that was that was a really good uh, discussion about how you look at investing. And mm. I think that's very unique because I feel like, I don't know about you, John, but I feel like the the the, the, the answers given were not textbook at all. No, definitely you not. Know, definitely and, not. And, and that's I why mean, I wanted to tap on his, you know, spotting but I think, experience I think, and all I think that. we have to have the disclaimer. I, I do think that Lee Chong-wei is a national hero. He's done oh, yeah, so much definitely. for our sport. Yeah. Yeah, please, yeah. please don't hate best, on us for, for <laughs> flaming Lee Chong-wei. We're just trying to draw distinctions. We were just trying to sport. put probabilities, <laughs> yeah, put, yeah, put some analogy to probabilities and all that. Because some people also will say, yeah, it's true that maybe the Linden style makes more money or whatever, but like I can resonate with Li Chong Wei, right? Like yeah. for me, I, I'm not going for the big wins, but the small wins over times, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, now we get into, I guess, uh, uh, the more juicy part about this and maybe the applications of how you look at investments, right? I know that there are three companies that you, uh, as a disclaimer, you own three, all these three companies, right? Mm-hmm. Your personal yes, portfolio. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you own them and obviously you are you're excited about them. So maybe let's start with the first one. I don't know which one to go first. Let's start with uh, KESM. Start with uh, KSM. Okay. Right. So I know KESM is one company that uh, I think you wrote in Stockbit as well. Some of your thoughts. Yeah, right? yeah. I think you yeah. cited uh, Occam's Razor as well. I remember. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So maybe uh, give us a sense of uh, what. Give us all listeners as well a sense of what they do and why mm. uh, you know it's in your portfolio. Okay. Um, so KESM. They engage in burn-in and test services only, so they are not an OSET. Mm. So I think even the, there's some writers. I, I, it's best not to name names, right? But yeah, there's yeah. some writers out there where they they pub, they publish their stuff and they, they sort of lump KSM together with an OSET, Inari, Inari, Inari. Sam, <laughs> MPI, yeah, right. But they do provide a small portion for EMS, EMS but yeah. that is it's more like, to satisfy the customer as yeah, a one-stop yeah, yeah. But it's it's not a significant part of the revenue actually. Yeah, yes, yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's probably about five percent, yeah, or ten. And so, so they primarily engage in burn-in and test. And so why burn-in and test services are important, especially to their automotive clients is because that uh, in, the, in, in the automotive industry, the chips in automotive industry in comparison to other industries, they go through the most stringent testing. Correct. Right, because those chips need to last beyond 10 years and beyond mm. as well, especially for cars. That's right. So the, 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 narr- the growth narrative for KSM at the moment is that why this company, there's a growth catalyst for it, is that they stand to gain from the highest semiconductor content in cars, mm. right? And so what that means is that they, hopefully when the chip shortage moderates, they're able to secure, their clients are able to secure more chips. And then in turn, KSM is able to do, engage in burning and test for more chips because mm. the cars have more chips in them now, mm. right? Okay, so why has KSM not been doing so well. Mm. So 
2019, it was a US-China trade war. Correct. Right. So in the US-China trade war, then the supply chain gets disrupted. Yeah. Right. Less chips going to China. And, you know, I think the the, the OSETs in China as well are, are servicing less of the US ones over there. And so so then the, 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 that began like a sort of a decoupling of uh, the semiconductor value chain in the world, right? Mm. Everyone wants to become self-sufficient now, Correct. especially the, the so-called mega powers, right? Mm. And now even including Japan as well, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah. Right? Okay, so, um, uh, and then COVID came. So factory lockdowns affected KSM as well. Yes. And then in 2021, it was the chip shortage. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's bamboozled, man. Yeah, yeah, it's just nonstop, nonstop. Okay, and in so- In Malay, there's a phrase, Sudah jatuh di timpa tangga somewhere. Yeah. So, but- why I find KSM interesting is that this is, and I think this is like the more of like the, the Monish Prabhai statement where like, this is a company, it's a distressed company in a distressed industry mm -hmm. that's affected by temporary circumstances. Yes. Okay. And so this is, I would say this is one of those tech companies that have not done well, have been legates in the tech space, so-called semiconductor slash tech space in Malaysia. Mm -hmm. But uh, I do think they've managed to retain their value quite well. Mm. So why do I say that? Okay, so there's, there's one thing about KSM that uh, when when someone looks into their financials, okay, first I would say that there, there are qualitative uh, aspects of the company and there are quantitative aspects of the company. Yep. So in qualitative, you have business tenants and management tenants that mm -hmm. you have to assess. And for the quantitative one, it's the uh, financial tenants and the market tenants. So yep. this is more like the Warren Buffett way kind of thing where you have different tenants and yeah. so, yeah, I mean, if you read if if you read the book, uh, the Warren Buffett way, Robert Hagstrom kind of kind of breaks down Warren Buffett's style of assessing companies to four tenets: so mm. the business, management, financial, and market. Mm. Okay, and so if you look at the financial part of KESM, uh, that what what's interesting about that company is that the profits are going down. Yeah, but we realized that net operating cash flow is going up. Is 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 has maintained a very healthy range. Yeah. So if you see from uh, 2016 to, to, to 20, 2021, yeah. its net operating cash flow is actually doing very resilient. Yeah. Right. So, but profit is going down. Yeah. So what's the story behind that? So <laughs> then I looked into it and then I realized that depreciation weighs very heavily for this sort of a company. Correct. So it's a depreciation cost. Yeah. All right. And so, and so, but so, okay, for, for the listener that's listening to this, profit and loss uh, is, is to do with accrual accounting correct yeah. right and depreciation and amortization uh, uh, takes into account into accrual accounting correct. whereas cash flow operations all these non-cash items are reverse backed in correct so in a way the cash flow statement is basically saying that these things are arbitrary yes okay in a way okay and so what that so then i realized that in the cash flow statement where they reverse back in the non-cash items depreciation was the overwhelm overwhelmingly largest figure in ksm mm. then i realized okay so then I look at its capital expenditure, Yep. right? And its expenditure, of course, the capital expenditure is very cyclical. And uh, and I think that now that KSM has announced that they are uh, spending 100 million for capital expenditure right now. Mm. And so what I did was that I assumed that over the long-term capital expenditure cancels out depreciation. Mm. Yeah, so correct. what are you left with? Operating cash flow. Correct. Right? And net operating cash flow. And so free so, cash flow, you mean like if you if you can net off capex. Yeah, yeah. So that means you take off the capex. You don't you don't ah, talk about okay, capex. Okay. So yeah. So so uh, capex in accrual accounting, capex serves to offset 
depreciation. Mm. So you remove both. So there's like uh, the the so-called technique of Occam's razor. Mm. But I think in this in this case, you can call it like, or as I call it, like the Occam reversal. <laughs> right? You're reversing this, these things back into yeah, the yeah, statement, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm. So then I felt that the operating cash flow was the most relevant part to look at, right? And uh, so I use price over net operating cash flow mm. to determine uh, to get a more accurate picture of uh, the company's financial performance and financial health, mm. and if and in this case, price over net operating cash flow is like PE, it's like price yeah. over yep. earnings, right? In this case, yes. So, at, I think at this price is about ten. Is that cheap? Mm. <laughs> sounds sounds cheap to me. Yeah. Right. And so for. And of course, there are risks to KSM, yes. right? With the chip shortage, KSM uh, heavily relies on their customers to um, secure these chips and then in turn pass it, outsource, outsource uh, uh, their burning and testing stuff to then outsource their chips to them so they can engage in burning and testing mm -hmm. activities. And so um, knowing that they are a company that is, uh, is go going through a difficult time, but nevertheless temporary, mm. I do think uh, KSM will become a turnaround story eventually when a chip shortage okay. uh, right. moderates. Sorry to interrupt this podcast. I know it's a little bit annoying, but I want to tell you something that I think can be really helpful to you. I can tell you're really interested in the stock market and want to learn more about it so that you actually know what you're doing, especially when today things are getting more complex and complicated. That's why we came up with the Stock Investing Blueprint or SIB. It's our signature e-learning program that teaches you how to pick the right stocks most of the time, buy and sell it at the best possible time and manage your stock portfolio systematically. It currently has more than 10 hours of content and it's growing. You'll also be part of a group of like-minded investors that can help speed up your learning process. To hop on the program, click on the link in the description or go to learn.viral.co slash courses slash SIB. So that is my, my take on KESM actually. See. What, mm -hmm. what are the risks? I mean, so coming back to a few, few points that you covered about mm. KESM and for the context of some of the listeners who are not that familiar with the burning testing services. Mm -hmm. so, so for if you were to simplify it, into a layman's uh, story or analogy, how do you start doing this kind of business? What what what's your what are the things you need as compared to someone else? Like uh, maybe, let's take an extreme example uh, of an ATE player like a Vtrox, right. right? So, right. the nature of the business, how how would the balance sheet of a KSM differ from that of a Vtrox? Maybe you can come from that angle. Okay, so yeah, yeah. basically they are a service, but in order to con engage in the services, they need all these machines to do burn-in test. Yes. Right. And so uh, we've also, I, I think it's been it's publicly known as well that some of the machines that KSM uh, buys or is consigned to them by their client is from mm -hmm. LSOF Research. Mm -hmm. yes. So LSOF is one of their suppliers of these machines. Yes. And so what it differs, let's say from like Franken, which is like not so asset heavy. Yeah. And KSM is that KSM is very, very asset heavy. Mm. Right. And so that's, and that's why, uh, they their machines, you know, they they become they they become irrelevant after a certain number of years, mm -hmm. and that's why they have to keep replenishing their their machines over time. So that is actually the risk there, 
and uh, and why why this company in comparison to another tech company, let's say like Funken, mm. is not so desirable. And that's why the depreciation you know? is also very high, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. That was why I was trying to lead to this. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's why uh, KSS depreciation is very high because yes. of the, the, the high K-Pax number of machines yeah. and then the KPEX as well. From, yeah. your, from your reading and all that, um, um, how fast or how quickly uh, obsolescence actually set into their machines and all that? I think it, it it depends on the cycle, but it's within a range between like three to five years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And from what was the latest announcement, I think it was a hundred million capex, right? Mm. If I'm not mistaken. Mm. Um, were there any guidance provided by the company? How long will they need to recapitalize or re recapex their business? Was there was there any hint from your reading? No, no. No. Okay. Okay. Um next question I would ask with regards mm. to KSM is Oh, do you mean like how they're going to fund their fund their KPEX? Uh, no, no, uh, probably there's one, but more I was like thinking, how many times do they have to spend a hundred million? Oh, oh, right. So that means okay. So the, cy- the cycle is yeah, also between yeah, like three yeah, to five right, years. Right, right. So the yes. if you go to 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 the cash cash flow from investing, yeah. the last time their capital expenditure was this high, yeah, is uh, in two thousand seventeen. Yes, right. But that all that also helps in offsetting the the high amount depreciation Correct. cost there. So in accrual accounting, eventually it will it will look pretty decent, right. I suppose. Yeah. Considering will. that their volume loading is good sometime yes. in the future. Yes, yes. And I do think that the management should know what they're doing. I think they do know what they yeah. are doing. Mm. And they're not, they won't they I don't think they'll be announcing 100 million KPIs just for fun, you know? Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 Actually, if you if you don't mind, can you drag mm. back to maybe uh like uh, how many? For, uh, 20, for, uh, 20, let's say 2012. Lah, let's see if it's possible. Can. All the way yeah, back. So actually we looked at KESM um, a while back. Mm. And so we also got excited about that 100 million in 2017. Correct. I still remember. Can you see the CapEx? CapEx here, over here. It's already plotted on the graph. Okay, so mm-hmm. so 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 it looks really, so here's what's interesting. Can you uh, scroll down? The, the blue, the blue is the, ah. the black is the CapEx. Okay, so here's what's interesting, right? So mm. in uh, 14 and 15, the mixture, mm. right, mm. of their, the, the pre-2017 CapEx cycle, if you notice, right, their business actually grew quite a lot, mm. right? Yep. You're looking at like 65 million in uh, operating cash flow going to 100 million, which yep. is the peak, right, mm-hmm. yes. over the past 10 years. Mm-hmm. So in 2017, when we were looking at this number, can you imagine, right? So obviously we don't see anything in 2018 onwards, right? Yeah. We were excited because if you spend, let's say, 100 million. 70 million, right? Mm. Odd, and then you get 100 million, right? So if you spend 100 million, what does that mean, right? It should mm. be bigger. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it will yeah. pro- most likely mean that management is uh, very bullish, very, bullish, very, correct. very, yeah, it definitely, very yeah, expecting. Correct. Yeah. So obviously what transpired is that the operating cash flow was flat yeah. after yes. spending 100 million, which is a <laughs> failure. Yeah. Yes. But as you rightly pointed out, it was a mixture of these three things of the trade war, of COVID, mm. and of the chip shortage. Yep. Yes. So the trade war, uh, I think the damage is already done. Yeah. Right? It's it's there already. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any big reversal on there's that. There's no reversal, yeah. The second thing of COVID, things are already uh, opening up, right? We can mm-hmm. travel. And so the big question now is actually the, the chip shortage. Yes. Mm-hmm. And for me, this current capex cycle of 100 million mm-hmm. the big question is is this a 20 a 2014 or 2017 for, for <laughs> yeah. and i well, think it hinges yeah. on the it hinges on the 20 uh on the chip shortage so mm-hmm. you mentioned yeah. moderation you used mm-hmm. the word right 
what 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 confidence do you have uh, in terms of the moderation and what are you seeing now? Because if it moderates, then right, twenty fourteen mm. is more likely. If it doesn't, twenty six mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. happens again, mm-hmm. and then you know it, it, right. it gets painful. Right. Okay. So I think um, there are certain clues uh, in when yeah. it comes to data. So one of the things that if you are if you want to pay attention to the chip chip shortage is yeah. uh, uh, vehicle sales in different parts of the world. Right, and so uh, I I Capital. So uh, thanks to MJ, I also subscribe to I Capital now. And uh, in I Capital, they've been they have this section where China on the move, and they are saying that the chip shortage mo- has been moderating in China actually, especially towards the end of two thousand twenty one. So there there are some clues there. Of course, uh, not all the data are there, and of course the chip shortage is. Uh, the chip shortage is ongoing at varying degrees throughout the world. Correct. Right. Uh, but so I think it's interesting that vehicle sales are returning, especially in a in a in a very big market like China. Yeah. Right. And uh, and and even on the ground as well. Like for example, last year, like Mercedes, they yeah. launched so many models, but none of them were coming to Malaysia. Yeah. Because of the chip shortage. Yes. And because and of course other brands as well were also facing the same problem, right? Uh, BMW included as well. And so now you're starting to see these lo- these models are. Are appearing in Malaysia, right? Yeah. Like people are buying the late, the new C class, yes. mm-hmm. the new E class, right? Then okay, you kind of get this, kind of get a sense. Like I think you can, in a way, on the from uh, on the from the on the ground basis, right? Yeah. That you're able to feel like, uh, you know, it seems that the chip shortage is moderating slowly. Mm-hmm. Of course, there are industry insiders, like for example, like uh, are there 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 are, there are industry experts from NXP. They're saying that uh, to the, the chip shortage may go on until 2023 or well into at least into the late 2022 mm. right but what's going on like if you're paying attention to like what's going on around the world is that everyone's building foundries now yeah and especially their own right every country wants to have their own foundry now yes, yes. and to start competing against tsmc yeah so uh without trying to predict when the chip shortage will moderate i rather i rather prefer to say that you know eventually the chip shortage will moderate. It just depends on when. Yes. But it's it's a, it's and what, is the price you're paying for KS and worth exactly the wait? Yeah. and is the price you're paying for KS is it worth the risk? And right now, I say I think the price is uh, about book value. Mm. You know, meaning is uh, the the price for net tangible assets. Yeah. So I I would say that okay, uh, using net tangible assets as a gauge, uh, for buying tech companies is not uh, a very it's not. No, no one really uses that metric anymore. Oh, yeah. But it does it does point to how cheap the company is. Correct. Yeah. Because there are people be like, oh, it's eight ringgit, it's expensive. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. It's yes. like, yes. oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> right? It happens, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> so so I think maybe like for those people who are listening to the pod, to this podcast, the price of a stock actually means nothing. Yeah. It's the price times the amount of shares outstanding. Yes. Right. Then you get the idea. So why a company's price can look so expensive is because there's less shares outstanding. Correct, correct. Yeah. Uh, I do have a contradicting view on the uh, va- using the book value valuation for, right, right, for yeah. this, this particular mm. company is because obsolescence is a very pertinent thing for this kind of business. Yep, yep. So whatever you put on book value today, uh, five years it, is gone. Yeah, 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 five years is gone. Uh, yeah. you actually if the company stops uh, capital expenditure. Yep, yes, exactly. yes, yes. So I think uh, investors, when you look at it, uh, it's not like land where there's appreciation value to it, but a lot mm. of the 
uh, book value that is built into or baked into KSM. Yeah. A lot of it is, is is hinges around obsolescence. You can't resell it, Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, there was a joke that uh, I mean, I've been to KSM's AGM easily close to four years now, five mm-hmm. years, and. Uh, uh, Mr. Samuel, thank God, he, he, he somehow remembers me by name because mm. whenever I ask the questions, it's like, oh, you again, right. John, you know? Yeah. <laughs> right. But, oh, John's you again. Yeah, it's you again. <laughs> so, so why I'm putting this up is because um, there were two stories that I think was pertinent. One was with regards to the share price. I think MJ probably, I'll let MJ narrate that about the division. But the one I wanted to narrate was this and related to the book value was, I did ask him a question. Have there been instances where you buy a machine and became obsolete? Said, yeah, okay. there was a time when the machine arrived and they never even opened it mm. because it was obsolete by the time right. it arrived. Oh, yeah. That's crazy, man. No, it's, it's, it's insane. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's After insane. spending all that money. Yeah, yeah. All, uh, so he said, just, just send it back, to bring it back to the supplier. Yeah, but yeah. it's already sunk cost, you see? Yeah, yeah. And um, I think as an investor, whenever we look at ratios, I think you have to look at it in nuance of careful, the business. Yeah. yeah, especially according to the nature of the business. Yeah, itself. exactly, exactly. Which is easier said than done. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> it's a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely a lot MG, of work. Man. The yeah. the bonus one, you may want to share. The bonus one? Oh yeah, I mean, the, uh, the I don't know if I've shared with you this before. Maybe you've heard in our previous podcast or or quick dives or whatever. Um, some uncle came up to him, shareholder, and then he just say, uh, Samuel, you know, like his son, like Samuel. Sam. Sam. <laughs> Sam, you know, no, he said Samuel. He said, uh, why, why can't you be like press metal, you know, do bonus what? issue and then, uh, you know, okay, the share okay. price go up. As if it's like mechanical, if I right, do right. bonus issue. Mm-hmm. It, uh, we wish company do a lot of bonus issue but keep falling on, uh, I think, was it, was it Sapura? No, uh, Sapura, Sapura. Uh, but anyway, it doesn't matter. So Sam would just say, hey, look, you know, at, the time, at that point in time, I think the, the price was like $18 or something mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. back in 2018, 2017. Say, hey, look, you know, uh, you can't uh, multiply wealth by dividing it. You know, mm. I personally, I don't think the, the uncle got it, lah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. I thought that was uh, one of the best ways to describe bonus issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no bonus. Yeah, right. You're not. I think the uncle was stunned man, because it's just the, the same size of cake, but just in more slices. Yeah, yeah. But a lot of people. Yeah. Look, yeah. I look, I was having this discussion with a uh, with a with a family friend. And he was calculating this company that had a very low, like had a lot of shares, like a lot, right, of right. Shares. A lot of shares. And you see, what the EPS is only 0.004 cents. How <laughs> <laughs> so low uh, is the guy? <laughs> 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 yeah, like, yeah, yeah, bro, but you check how many shares you got. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, so it's exactly. like, it's very, it's very basic, but mm. it still catches people. Actually, we, uh, you know what, what, a lot of the times that MJ and I, we get stuck, uh, uh, not to say get stuck, nah, we get we get stumped, nah, mm. uh, is that questions like this always emerge whenever we talk about. Yeah. Rather than they ask about the business side of the questions, they always ask about what we call the capital changes mm. or, or capital exercises that always yeah, happen. Man. Yeah, yeah. And it always caught, sometimes I, I also struggle because it's like they do, let's say, warrants three for two or that kind of thing. Uh, virtually, you have to take a piece of paper and start calculating, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but what if, what if, if you think about it? What what's the exercise for? You know, if I I just divide it into, is the company asking money for you? Liquidity, bro. Yeah, <laughs> or is it just dividing up more cakes, uh, mm. slices of cake? That, that's that's the, that, yeah. Simplify. It's just these two only. Mm. 
I mean, if you think about it, they give you free warrants, they give you free bonus or whatever. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Warrants is what? It's conversion, it's a rights law. Yeah, yeah, It's yeah, as simple yeah. as that lah. Yeah, Meaning yeah. more, more money lah. Yeah, well, is your dilution worth it for whatever yeah. the, the company is well, going to use in for econo- money? In economics, there's no free lunch. Right? Yeah, there's no free lunch. Precisely, <laughs> yeah. precisely. But the words that is used to pack it, it's like the, the Gary Tan analogy lah, uh, golden pepper wrapped. Yeah. What's the essence inside? Mm. <laughs> yeah. I just want to say, I just hit all those, you know, three warrants uh, and then uh, be, three warrants after a two to seven bonus. Those yeah, are the worst ones. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Absolute yes. pain. It's I don't know like why they do that. What's going now. on? You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah so and anyway, then when you try to sell the warrants, it's like, oh, odd lots. Yeah, oh, oh my so gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, like 66 shares of whatever like, like, dash WA. Yeah, yeah. like being 66 and then you have to sell it and then like the, Brokerage fee doesn't cover the proceeds. Yeah, exactly. like, but you just want to sell it anyway because yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. it makes it look ugly, right? Your yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, uh, anything else you want to add from KSM before we move on? Um, okay, so I, I do think that, uh, yes, I do think there is value in KSM at this price. Mm-hmm. Uh, even between the range of eight ringgit plus to 12 ringgit, I think there's good value in mm-hmm. KSM. Mm-hmm. But of course, for the people who are looking at KSM, as we mentioned, uh, the business is very asset heavy. Yeah. And so, and, and it's, uh, it's, and the ch- and the challenge of of analyzing companies in the so called semiconductor value chains, knowing which part of the value chain they are in, precisely. As well, Spot because on. even if I mentioned just now KSM versus Funken, yeah. but they're serving they're they're totally different sides, oh, yes. different sides yeah, yeah. of the of the galaxy. One use it, one use chemicals. Yeah, yeah. 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 Exactly. And the best part is that one is right at the front, one is right at the back. Right. If you think of it, exactly. Yeah, exactly. yeah. it's one is right before, before the big guys uh, assemble the stuff. Mm. That's when KSM comes exactly. in. Exactly. Yeah. Right? yeah. So yeah. so for me, in the end, uh, you a person has to 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 assess themselves. Okay, this is the nature of the business, and this is what they do. Yeah. And you find out what the growth catalysts are. Yes. But at the end of the day, I think entry price is very important. Oh yeah. It's super. It's super important. And so uh, I think like we were talking about, you know, like. DNO as well. Yeah, exactly. And and like, okay, you know, DNO is a very fantastic, exciting company, but uh, depending of of your own of your own estimation of what the forward PE is yeah. or the current PE is, you know, it's it's very different. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. definitely very different, and they're completely different businesses. So the yeah. question is, like, are they comparable or are they not as well? Yeah, exactly. You know, and sometimes it's different depending who you ask. Yeah, <laughs> correct, correct. That's right. Yeah, but I mean, we I do believe that we are of the opinion that they are. It's like comparing a green apple to a red apple or an apple to an orange. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Okay. Next. Next talk. Let's do uh, Ancom. Ah. Okay. Ancom is very interesting because you talked a very lot exciting. about yeah. margin of safety, mm. but optically at least, Ancom. Uh, it's like a growth stock. That and that, that it doesn't seem to have a margin of safety, right? Mm-hmm. I think if you can go on the valuation step. Yeah. So, uh, I'm trying to close this to go value. Ooh. Ooh. What on earth did I happen? Oh, 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 scan your finger. No, I think you X, the one at the bottom. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, cancel this guy first. Okay. What uh, are you doing? This is where you put a, a very convenient advertisement. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> a pop up and. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, right. so if you click on the valuation part. I can't see because the camera's... Okay, oh. got it. Yeah, so... Um, if price I to s- sales or price to earnings? Where's the price to earnings? Huh? Price to earnings in the uh, uh. ticker is a bit tough. It's actually here. Last 12 months. I don't think it's there. Where is, uh, no, it's not. Usually ticker... Yeah, I think we can go to Google. Uh, yeah, the best is Google. Yeah, it does render a bit dif- differently in yeah. ticker, right? Yeah, because they're using EV as well, which to be fair, is a bit more accurate, but mm. it's fine. 
There you go. Yeah, so it's like 30 times earnings and it's not a tech company, yeah. right? Which is why I say optically, mm-hmm. it doesn't look like it has a margin of safety. But of course, that's why you're here. And mm-hmm. maybe for, actually my benefit as well, I know they're into fertilizers. I know, uh, 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 what was it? Monsanto. Pa- Paraquat. Paraquat, yeah. Paraquat. These are the buzzwords I know for Ancom. I think be- better not mention Monsanto with yeah. Ancom. Yeah. <laughs> you get in trouble. Yeah, yeah, Ancom yeah. management start messaging, hey, why you mention? <laughs> but yeah, so maybe yeah, give us a sense of what they do and then why you're excited about it, why it's in your portfolio. Okay, so Ancom um, engages in two, in two segments. So the first one is uh, the agricultural chemical segment. In Southeast Asia, they are the only sole producer of active ingredients. And active ingredients, AI is short for active ingredients. Mm. And active ingredients are used in uh, herbicides, pesticides, and fungicides. Uh, The second segment that they are engaged in are in industry chemicals. Mm -hmm. And in industry chemicals, they are one of the two ethanol producers in Malaysia. Okay. And so what is- The second one being, what's the second one? As one one of two ethanol producers. Do you know the Malaysia. second? One? Do you know? Do you happen to know the second? Uh, no, I'm not sure. Okay, I'm not sure. sure, sure. I'm not sure at this point actually. Uh, but what what is interesting about Encom is that they they so so they have industry chemicals and agri chemicals, and the agri chemical segment stands to benefit from the higher higher commodity prices mm, in agriculture, right. mm-hmm. and so they are, they produce uh, herbicides like Diron, MSMA, and glyphosate. And they they are applied to to crops such as corn, pineapples, soybean, palm oil, uh, and a lot. It's about eleven lah. It's about mm. eleven different types of crops, Mm-mm. right? And so this this they when commodity prices go uh, when agricultural crop prices go up, the the price for their products will be higher in demand. Mm. So they stand to benefit from that. But actually, the 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 larger they they command a larger earnings uh, share from their industry chemical segment, which is buried by the higher crude oil prices currently mm. at the moment. And so that I find the company interesting. Um, for those that know that uh, the Ukraine and Russia war have also caused an increase in commodity, in agricultural prices as Correct. well. So I, I would not go as far to say as Ancom is direct beneficiary of the, the war. The proxy invest. Right, yeah. or but um, that there, there, there is something to look at in income for that. Mm. So that that is the some of the business tenants. Um, they are also engaging in acquisitions. So now they're fully they've they're fully acquired Nilex, I believe. Mm. Yeah, and as well as Shennong Animal Health. So what? So now the the direction from the company is that they want to become an integrated, uh, integrated with like one stop shop. I see. When it comes to agriculture, industry chemicals. And, and trading as well. Mm. They're going to become in, integrated. So I think that's very interesting. And I think it's uh, it's it's uh, it's quite an exciting story okay. for the company. Mm. Financially, it's also very interesting. If you look at their, their, mar- their net margins are increasing. Okay. So is their earnings, of course. And then if you take a look at their balance sheet as well, their net giving ratio is also going down every quarter. Okay. So financially, the company is looking more and more healthy. Yeah, as well. So uh, before before we go, mm. I think what's interesting is that this is one of the few companies out there where the revenue is more or less flat, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, over right. five six years, right? But the the net income is going up, right? Mm-hmm. And is that a result of commodity? You saying that 
the commodity prices rising is the one giving right. them so, the so I, I would income? I would say it could be, it, from a method of deduction it would seem that they are selling they are more or less selling the same amount volume right. of commodities right. but at higher ASP ah yeah I see okay because yes, of the, the higher agricultural crop prices as well as the higher crude oil prices mm. Mm -hmm. but then wouldn't that is with the assumption that because their raw material prices are going up, they can actually pass through this cost to their customers. Uh, as right, well, right, exactly. Yep. Because if not, then they will be squeezed in the middle where mm. there's a fixed price to the customer and yet raw, raw materials for their for the chemicals. Because um, are, they, are the suppliers to what they produce uh, local or are they where, where are they buying their raw chemicals from actually? Okay, so it's interesting. Uh, that I think... Their their raw chemicals. So okay, let's let's talk about their their agrochemical side. So yeah. they they are the manufacturer of of that. Yeah. And so in terms of raw chemicals, I do not yet quite understand the supply chain of where they supply the raw chemicals. Mm. But I do think the interesting part is that they are able to manufacture the the active ingredients as well. I see. So so that's that's where it points to their their economic mode. And their competitive advantage, mm, in mm. especially in, in the the regional area. I see. Mm -hmm. uh, am I guessing it's a it's a it's a petroleum based kind of uh, mm -hmm. yep. fertilizer, right? Mm -hmm. So most likely some gases, yep. hydrogen or whatever. Mm -hmm. But okay. specific suppliers, I I I don't think the management has disclosed this. I, I see. Yeah. I see. I see. But in terms of raw ingredients, have they disclosed it? Because I I don't really know about this stock. Uh, Not as far as I know. Mm. I see. I see. Yeah, yeah. But I want to understand also because like, like John, right, mm. we have not looked at this, but we know that, look, commodities are the rage, right? In the yeah. past mm -hmm. couple of weeks or yes. three months or yes. a month, uh, three weeks or, or a month. Um, how does like crude oil actually like benefit these guys? Like crude oil has gone up, like it's like 130 now, something like mm. that. As I think it has dropped like around, I think Brent is below 100 now, I think. Yeah, right? just, just, dropped, it just went, dropped below 130, right? then came down. Wow. Okay, okay. Mm. So yeah, yeah what, what is, uh, like how does it, actually like i guess positively impacts and why doesn't maybe I, maybe you can educate me okay um so when it comes to the industry chemicals you know that they are made out of uh, crude oil yep right and so crude oil is an essential part of uh, of the, the the manufacturing of ethanol okay right and so when crude oil prices go up the prices for ethanol goes up mm. and so when they make their products in industry chemicals naturally so what i think the the, the good thing about this company is that they they are then able to not only pass on their their material costs to their clients, mm -hmm. but they are also able to 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 uh, have an increasing margin as well. So I do think there's a pricing power to that. Mm. Yeah. Okay. okay. So that means they can actually increase the price higher than the cost. Right. Okay. So what's interesting uh, right now is that there's the recent paraquat ban mm, in that, Thailand and for. even in Malaysia as well. As well, and I think the I think in different states of the U.S., some mm -hmm. some states have decided to ban it, and some states have not. Okay. Okay, and so I think this relates a little bit to uh, the risk behind using agricultural prod, uh, agricultural chemical pro agrichem products, right? Mm. So for those who um, uh, remember the the scandal with Monsanto's product Roundup, mm -hmm. right? So Round Roundup is one of those uh, products where some people claim that. Uh, that it causes a, a skin skin disease. I see. Right. And so, uh, of course, you could say that 
Pencom is a little bit like Southeast Asia's Monsanto, mm-hmm. but okay. they are not Monsanto. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So their products are not Roundup, right? And so I think Paraquat, Paraquat was banned for a very similar reason that they pose very, uh, very, very almost fatal uh, health consequences to the, for some of the people that were using Paraquat. I see. Right. And so I think this is where Encom's products, assuming that their products are safe, comes in. Okay. Right. So they are able to to grab more market share from the the Paraquat ban. Mm. So in the latest Encom uh, investor briefing, they they identified that their product Monex, uh, which is a mixture of MSMA and Diron, two different types of their herbicide products, okay. as a suitable substitute for Paraquat. Mm. Yeah. So so that's very interesting. Uh, so I think I'm uh, Peter Lim who was on this podcast as well that yeah. drew this distinction where like a lot there, there are quite a lot of companies who aren't able to grow because they're targeting the Malaysian market. Understood. But what's interesting about Ancom is that a lot a lot of their products are exported outside of Malaysia. I see. I see. So for in terms of geographical breakdown, uh, excluding Southeast Asia and Malaysia, uh-huh. fifty about fifty percent. Is exported. is exported to the rest of the world. I see. Right. And I think I about 15% is Southeast Asia and Malaysia is about 30%. I see. And so one of their main clients uh, come from South America and Brazil and, and then I think followed by the US. Did they disclose the, the client's name? Um, okay. So uh, the ma- manage, management has not disclose specific clients from Brazil. But if you do a little bit of digging, they, they do disclose a, a few Malaysian clients uh-huh. in the internet. So uh, I, I think some of the, the, the they are, some of their Malaysian clients are FGV and IOI Corp. I see, so mainly yeah. palm oil industry. Mm-hmm. Some of them. La. Understood, yeah. understood. I, I didn't realize uh, Monsanto has been bought over by Bayer. Mm. Uh, Bayer, yes, yeah. Bayer owns them now. Yeah, so I think Bayer's been 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 doing a lot of their PR work for Roundup because Roundup is uh, the Monsanto is still going through a lot of court cases. Ah, uh, yeah. as, I I'm not sure if they're still ongoing. Yeah, it says here June twenty twenty Bayer like, agreed like, to pay uh, yeah, no more settlements. Yeah, it's it's been finished. By yeah, it's non-stop one, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Interesting, yeah. interesting. So, yes. I guess will you say that part of the thesis is simply that. You know, it, not just improving margins, but mm. also uh, grabbing these market share from these mm. yeah. paraquat heavy mm-hmm. sort of industries. Would yes. you say that that is the, the big thesis to, to ramp revenue up? Yes. Yes, I do think so. Right. I do think so. And what's interesting about just this, so we're, now we're just talking about the qualitative side of it. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yes. So, so now financially as well, we know that uh, the, the balance sheet is doing better. Net profit margin is doing better. And uh, and and of course, in valuation, we use PE, right? Yeah. So right now, right now, the 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 company is being is being is is trading at a twelve times trailing trailing of of about thirty, right? And so, why I think this company is able to grow in the future as well is that they there's room for PE growth as well. But I but this is uh this 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 is. This is more to do with like relative valuation, mm. right? Mm. Right, mm. because Hexstar is actually interestingly enough, Hexstar uh, commands a PE of about sixty, right? But of course, Hexstar at the moment their margins are a bit better than Ancom, mm. yeah? yeah. But I think with uh, with so this is one of those things, right? Where like okay, so like you find the closest peer of this company, yeah, on the on the boss on the boss, right? And then you go like, okay, is it possible that this company 
is able to catch up in terms of PE as well. Mm. And so Hexstar is a it's a very it's a it's a respected respected uh, competitor to uh, to Ancom. Yeah. But I but I do think that what's interesting about Ancom's proposition is that of the the room for growth in ROE, room for growth in PE, net profit margins as well as earnings. Mm. Yeah. Great. Great. Mm. Something something along the lines of um, what I say, I think people are quite enamored with the packs, mm, the, the yeah. tech, the logistics sectors. Mm-hmm. But I think one thing the COVID uh, scenario uh, actually portrayed was mm-hmm. also our lack of understanding of food security yeah, as a yeah, team. Yeah. Because, you know, until I let, we just we just take for granted that the shelves in the supermarket would be stocked and all those kind of things. Yeah. And the moment COVID hit, that's where oh oh okay vegetables come from here. Mm. This and we eat so much rice, and apparently we're net importers of rice. Oh yes, yeah. yes, right. Yes, yes. Yeah. So. I didn't even know before all this yeah. that uh, you know we get a lot of our vegetables from Cameron Highlands. Yeah. To me, Cameron Highlands is just a place I visit for fun, right? Yeah. Mm. Exactly. You exactly. know they were that important. Yeah. So great, Encom. Uh, um, all right, so Next uh, anything else yeah, you want to add management, whatever, before we move on? Okay, so what's also interesting about management that uh, I believe the CEO, Lee Chun Hui, has come on board as CEO from two, as either 2018 or 2019, around that, I think between 2017, 2019. Mm. So, so I, I think what's interesting is how he's directing the company. Okay. And I think, uh, of course, he's he's trying to to turn the company to a more integrated, yeah, integrated company. But what's also interesting is that he is also publicly uh, stated that he's been busy mopping up Encom shares as well himself. <laughs> yeah. Mm. <laughs> so. and, and 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 at all prices, even at the peak as well. Wow. So that's interesting. You can see okay. that that the direct that the managements themselves are bullish on the okay. company. Okay. Otherwise. They wouldn't be buying their own company shares. Understood. Yeah. As it, I would say it's not hundred percent certain that the that the, the the stock will go up, but it, it's an indication of the, of yeah, the, the mean, management. You know, that's uh, the stop bluff, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Then stop bluff <laughs> as well. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. For those of you all don't know, uh, it's okay. You don't need to know, but those of you know, you know. If you yeah. know, you know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, we move on last. I I only have so we talk about one more stock, and then we maybe talk a little bit about how you manage your portfolio and, and maybe a little bit about your macro views uh, towards the end. But mm. let's start with PMB Tech. So PMB Tech, uh, I know a little bit more, mm-hmm. right? And they're good friends with uh, First Metal, right? Well, it's exactly. the same. <laughs> yeah. uh, they are brothers, right? These yeah. two companies. They're the Kuhn family. Right? Yeah. It's like the DNO and MFCB uh, yeah, uh, yeah. kind of situation. Yeah. So, you know, um, yeah, maybe give it a sense of why you own it and you know, again. maybe before that, what what do they do? Yeah, what do they do? And what, why do okay, they so what do they do is that they manufacture high purity silicon metal, and silicon metal is used in uh, three very fast growing industries right now. You have energy storage, mm-hmm. solar cells, and semiconductors. Yeah. So of course, for those who are in the the sort of the nitty gritty tech 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 space of semiconductors, know that uh, semiconductors are moving from a very high degree of silicon-based material to silicon carbide. Correct. As well as gallium nitride as yes. well. And so uh, they, they are, they are so, so this is the so-called demand side, right? You mm-hmm. have the electric vehicles yeah. using high amounts of silicon. So for those who are interested in test, even Tesla is very, um, 
very bullish on silicon, right? They yeah. find silicon is absolutely a fantastic material to use for their batteries. Yes. Um, I think as it was 2020 Tesla battery day, yeah. they talked about silicon. Yes. So that was interesting. And it's around the same time as well that, you know, the PMB tech uh, started getting a little bit more, more, more coverage in terms of investor awareness and stuff correct, like that. Correct. So you have that and then you have uh, the, the, the silicon and solar, solar cells. Yep. As well as, uh, what was it? Uh, bat- I think ba- ba- battery storage, solar cells, and semiconductors. Correct. Semiconductors. Right. So semiconductors, and so semi, and so as the amount of semiconductor sales is poised to increase, and so is the the higher demand for silicon metal. Mm. Right. So you have the the demand side for this. Okay. What about supply? Because uh, because at the end of the day, we're talking about a commodity, right? Yes. And a commodity is, is subject to the market forces of supply and that's demand, right. right? So, so that's the demand part. So you feel like there's a pull there in demand, right? That that, that one you uh, like it's settled, right? Yeah, it's that, done. It's like that everyone far. knows that these are very, very, very fast-growing yeah. industries. So, what about supply? So, the thing about silicon metal right now is that some of the largest exporters of silicon metal, besides the ones in Europe, are in China, mm. and because of the China decarbonization decarbonization policies that is ongoing in China, there's a lot more uh, plant closures due, due to, due to their, their, really? their cut electricity costs. No way, right? okay. Because China is, wants to become more green, right? And so all of these f- plants who source electricity from coal-powered generators, for example, are being closed down, yep. right? So then you get that little supply, supply shock there, mm, right? So, so you, see, you see that, that pull and demand yeah. and that, and then that the drop in supply. Correct. Right. And so now there's this thing because of ESG that plants who are able to source their power mm-hmm. from renewable energy is become, becoming much more lucrative. Yep. And conveniently enough, PMB Tech is in the Samalaju industrial zone yep. where they're able to source energy from hydropower. Mm. So ah, tick, so, uh... <laughs> ESG, right? Okay. And so I think... Um, it was Alchem, right? That 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 uh, that published this map. That they they're actually not very. They actually not a, a large amount of plants that are silicon metal plants. Yeah, they are able to generate their power from renewable energy sources. Yeah. So if you see the trend there, but because of ESG trends, now there's more emphasis on people uh, trying to discriminate between plants who who do this and plants who are. Uh, especially the ones, for example, in China, mm. they are the ones being closed down because Close, of the, the, the China decarbonization policy. So mm. supply, demand, mm. right? Yeah. And so uh, for those people who've been um, been tracking silicon metal prices, of course, we have uh, Rondi Yunanda to, to thank for and stop bit who's been posting these prices on, on stop bit. Yeah. And uh, we, I, th- I believe that so there are three markets where the prices are being tracked: the U.S., mm-hmm. Europe, and China. So China, right? Also in Europe, uh, sorry, let's let's say in the U.S. U.S. is still actually the prices are actually at quite close to all time high. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in Europe is sort of like in the middle, mm-hmm. and in China it's actually it dropped quite a lot and now it's recovering. Right, so there's this thing that's been ongoing. There's this discussion on on stop bit right now. So okay, for those just disclosing that PMB Tech is not a so-called original idea for me. It was an idea that uh, I got from users and stop bit, and then I did my own research myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's okay? 
There you go. Yeah. Is this is this today? No, it's I think it may be backdated, but this is from. Oh, uh, this is this is at its peak, I think. Yeah. When was yeah, this? September. Last September. Uh, yeah, September. Six months ago. September six months ago. Yeah. So the the prices in China have dropped quite a lot, but starting to recover again. Mm. So one one of the 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 inferences that that one of the the stock bit users has proposed that the reason why the Chinese market have had the, the prices have dropped in the Chinese market was because of all these plants that were actually be, because of the high electricity costs mm-hmm. they were actually quickly trying to sell out their silicon metal at very cheap prices I see so, so there was that, a price dump yeah so there's a price dump so now you see that the price is slowly increasing again in China which mm. is interesting I think you're able to find the China prices okay. on silicon metal I think yeah yeah so What's also interesting and maybe some context for the viewers out there is that um, to run any steel plant, I mean, the days of uh, Andrew Carnegie, you know, that mm. the, the steel magnets and all. In Malaysia, uh, for those more veteran investors, they will know that steel companies in Malaysia were, didn't really make money actually. The Powaja steels, the Southern steels and all that. And I guess it was, one is uh, the abundance cost and the use. Cost, energy. but more important was the cost actually. Mm. That was the point yep. I was trying to make. And P-Metal actually owes a lot of its success to the energy cost that it the got. The Bakun Dam, right? Yeah, the very favorable. Mm. Uh, Samalaju Industrial Zone. Yeah, which is uh, tied to the grid for the Bakun Dam. And now, in Sra- I'm Srakian, so they're actually building a ballet dam, which is going to be even bigger. Mm. And um, I think that writes on uh, the thesis of cheap energy, Cheap renewable energy at a certain cost. And very yeah. green, you know? Yeah, yeah, very, very green. Yeah, so I'm going to- Or blue. Get to water. have silicon metal and the butterflies get to live as well. You yeah. Know? <laughs> Everyone's happy. Yeah, <laughs> so prices. China, let's see what do they have. I, I do have a question. Uh, this is, I guess, a bit more technical. Like you said that there was going to be a shift from- uh, silicon, silicon carbide to gallium nitride, right? right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. sorry, it's from silicon to silicon carbide. Is that yes, what you're yes, saying yes, or the yeah. other way around? Uh, that, that, now that there's there's a, there's a lot of R and D going on right uh, with with gallium nitride as so, well as well as silicon um, carbide from a like a end product perspective, it, like is it this shift happening? Is it like it's gonna reduce cost for battery makers or solar cell producers? And then also efficiency, also efficiency, and okay, they're much okay. more resilient to higher temperatures as well. I see. Cool. Yeah. So, yeah. This this is what we call the silicon two point shift because mm. in the past, so the, the is. If you look at how uh, processors are being built, it's usually, especially logic processors, a lot of it require very low current. That's yeah. why, you know, uh, battery life, you know, if, if you are on an ARM architecture, yeah. very low amperage and all that kind of thing. But as we move more and more into automotive electronics, we move more and more into 5G where you need high, high frequency kind of response as well as high power because mm. of the attenuation loss that you get, especially 5G, right? Because yeah. distance is so short. You actually need very high current electronics. And these sort of materials are the ones- They're, that they're, they're exactly more resilient. Yeah. More resilience, there's uh, what we call lossless. Right. Less lossless energy. Yeah. Uh, and then your attenuation uh, and your signal propagation gets better. That's why mm-hmm. the leaning towards silicon carbide and gallium arsenide is actually to widen the uh, current usage. Because right yeah. now, uh, a lot of logic chips are built on silicon are at very low current usage. Because they, because the, I guess what I was trying to understand was uh, was it uh, the re- was the shift that is happening now a result of a technical barrier or is because of a demand barrier? It's more uh, demand it's, more, it's more both a technical barrier and a demand barrier mm-hmm. because for silicon itself, 
uh, physics doesn't warrant that uh, for silicon to hit that kind of a high limitation, mm, mm. especially for frequency frequency response right. as well as uh, current uh, current draw la. Right. So you you you, you well actually said. for a laptop right you don't need twenty amps yeah probably course, yeah, yeah right but for an automotive electronic uh, especially for power electronics for a car correct you just imagine if 50 60 percent of your car content today it's 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 EV uh, it's electric yeah, like electronics correct. right you virtually need a battery you don't want to have the battery that's so big. But even if you have a battery that's so big, you need some sort of a regula regulatory circuit to be able to contain it. And that's mm. where this additional material actually comes in. Mm. Right. Yeah. And, you know, so it, it, like it came together. Like it's more like, okay, now there's all these things that people want that's yeah, higher powered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yes. then the tech right now enables yeah. the shift from silicon or to silicon 2.0. Correct. Because mm. for most laymen, you just want what you see on the surface yep. is usually, oh, I turn it, turn it on. Oh, it's like yes. slides. But all this comes at a at, at certain technical barriers that will, yep. Yep. will need to be broken, you see. That's yeah. where it's going. And well of said. course, yeah. then the thesis is that um, regardless of whether there's a supply shock or all that, mm. um, because the, the, the uh, not press metal, uh, PMB tech has that energy cost advantage. Yes. They, uh, they stand to, take advantage of this, similar to their big brother, press metal. Yes, mm. yes. Just that yes. press metal is more aluminum, right? Yeah, yeah. Aluminum has a more general usage, whereas uh, silicon carbide and also galem arsenic, yeah, more specific, but growing. It's a growing correct, camera. Correct, correct. It's a growing correct, camera. Correct, correct. Yeah, yeah. What's interesting as well is that it's also owned by the Kuhn family, yeah. which is exactly. press metal, right? Yeah. So they, they got that. a copy paste, if you think about it. Yeah, it's so, but paste, the, right? the cool it's thing just, part just, is that you're catching it a bit more earlier now, press metal, yeah. like, yeah. like 10 yeah. years back. 10 years right? back, that's right. <laughs> right. Press metal 2.0, right? Yeah. But of course, uh, in the in the context, uh, just some context as well, Um, and this is of, of course not a, a buy call to the yeah, listeners yeah, there, because uh, the price now is more on the topish side, I think, at 18 ringgit. So when I bought it, it was about between 10 to 12 ringgit right. of course this that's even later than some of the the, of the users on stop it mm. but even we then have to, we our, have to uh, call out uh, tap Mr. Dance. Tap Dance right yeah, yeah. thank you tap, Mr. Mr. Tap Dance, tap Dance. <laughs> you, you know who you are <laughs> yeah. right so yeah yeah. so you continue yeah so so at that time when the price was between hovering between 10 to 12 ringgit uh, so for something like a commodity player like PMB Tech actually you uh, the, the valuation is uh just a tiny bit more complicated, but it's not that difficult. So right. you know that their capacity per annum is about, I believe it's 72,000 tons, tons yeah. a year, okay. right? So then, and then conveniently enough, silicon metal is sold by the ton, yes. right? So you, so- Just so, multiply. Yeah, yeah, just do the multiplication. Actually, that, that's the beauty of manufacturers, you know? Yeah. Capacity. Yeah. Average selling price. Done. You Done. do some math, Done. right? Right, you right. do some math. So I did, right. yeah, and I, I just did some conservative uh, estimate of uh, this year's uh, commodity price per se, because, you know, God knows what the price would be in 2023, but that was back in 2021 when yeah. I was doing my valuation. So yeah. I think the, 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 the average selling price for this year, I just took uh, maybe... I can't remember it was in RM, I think it was 40,000 40, renminbi mm -hmm. or 26,000 ringgit. Mm -hmm. And it worked out to be uh, of a value of about 18 ringgit at that time. Mm. So I had a significant margin there between uh, 10 to 12 ringgit to mm. 18 ringgit. Mm. And now it's trading exactly at that price. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's so, dropped quite a bit though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was actually just above twenty ringgit. Yeah, yeah. So I guess, I guess, you know, going yeah. back to some of the principles you were talking about early on, right? Do you think they're at a stage where, um, uh, you know, 
if they're going to achieve what is expected, then mm. you know it's going to be not minuscule, but certainly a modest gains. Mm. But then, if let's say there's a hiccup along the way, then there's going to be uh, you know a, 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 a rude awakening in terms mm. of expectation. Do you think we're there, or maybe you have a different view? Sorry, this is in, in terms of silicon metal, is it? No, 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 no. Like, uh, like for market expectation for, for PMB. That yeah, I'm talking about the expectations because mm. now I think there's a high expectations that. Oh uh, no, no, I'm assuming right. Mm. There's a high expectations that uh, if they do well, uh, then the gains are like okay. Mm. But if if there's a hiccup along the way, then right. Like, so like, is, like that, is that where uh, we are now, or you think? Uh, yeah, I do think so. Mm. Actually, I do like, think so. But actually, today's price is what fifteen ninety eight. Mm, okay, uh, still, still, I would say still topish. Right, it's a topish because, of course, in the end of the day, it all comes down to your estimation of right. the silicon metal price. Yeah, but um, okay, this is where we go back to like Pascal's wager again, right? Yeah. At this price. How much do you stand to gain, and what's mm. the probability of that? How much do you stand to lose, and what and and what is the probability of correct, that? Correct, correct. So, I think yeah. if we if uh, some of the math math nerds out there who wanna uh, um, have a go, they probably have to calculate all the silicon metal yeah. uh, suppliers mm. uh, uh, supply mm. versus demand and try to equate that into an equilibrium. Equilibrium yeah. price yeah, is like yeah, a sustainable yeah. price. So right? that, I mean, that's what yeah. MJ and I did uh, with the research team for the gloves mm. to try to uh, estimate some sort of an ASP between supply and demand of uh, capacity being built by the new players, especially in China, versus that of the existing players in Malaysia adding mm. on to their lines. Uh. Because, mm. I mean, it put it this way, uh, no high prices or no high margins will stay on forever. It's exactly. Always, yeah, it's, it's not. It's always it's not an, sustainable. Yeah. yeah, it always comes to an average price where um, it's not too painful for the buyer, but it's also not too uh, not too lucrative for the seller in a way. I, yeah. I think that that's where economic comes yeah. into play, But but what is what is I feel uh, interesting and something to think about is um, that the three things that are driving company which is uh, solar cells uh evs and then a battery semiconductors is that the volume that they have can offset uh, uh, i mean the end products right can offset whatever price decline so we know for example like car solar cells and semiconductors the price drops over time like your computer yeah. and your car and all that yes, right yes but because of the sheer increase in volume globally it will offset lah, any yep. price decline so I think that's what that's what makes it interesting mm -hmm. for uh, silicon and uh, gallium nitride and all this is because um, it seems to me that uh, the likelihood of uh, the price staying where it is or even going up, you know, maybe slowly or, or very quickly, is actually decently high, right? You yes. would rank it alongside latex, yeah, for example, yeah, exactly, exactly. or, or, or uh, butadiene, right, yeah, exactly. for example. So I think that's the interesting element. And so it's again, very similar to press metal where yeah. the where the, the owners only have to think about cost. Yes. Mm -hmm. They don't have to wonder about demand, right? So I do want to 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 get something interesting. Oh yeah, so yeah, yeah. Before before that, there's yeah. there's an interesting part about silicon uh, uh PMB tax business as well, which which uh which made it uh, extremely appealing as well at that time was because mm. of its operating leverage. Mm. So the more capacity that they're able to utilize, yes, the the more that their profit their, their margin correct, grows correct. as well. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Because your one uh, as a manufacturer, your fixed cost is kind of like fixed, you know. 
and and whatever pour, what whatever ex- extra you made either through as ASP expansion, uh, is really straight to the bottom line. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's so, that's that's an interesting thing. But of course, I would say that this is kind of a a non Buffett way, yes. right? Because Buffett said that uh, the most riskiest investment is when it comes to commodities because. Yes. A, com- a company that manufactures these commodities are indiscri- indiscri- indistinguishable mm. from one another. Correct. Right. Except if they are a very low cost producer. Correct. And I think that's what PMB Tech is aiming for. Yes. To be a global low cost producer by 2025. Correct. Of Correct. course, uh, then that's where you you have to believe in the management. And yeah. I do think the management has to I try to go for that. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Actually, this is I where mean, I we don't want to put too much expectation. Of course, of course, of course. But, but, but I want to have some fun. Uh, actually, yeah. you can pull up. Um, <laughs> Press metals price. Ah, okay. Uh, Press yeah, metals yeah. market cap, right? Yeah. No, because if you, let me ask you guys, because you guys look there and then okay, John, like you're in technical and all that. Yeah. Do you think, right, that in terms of size, quantum and all that, considering the comparative growth between aluminium and silicon slash silicon uh, carbide slash helium nitride, yeah. do you think they will ever match and reach? Because I think I would assume aluminium is a lot bigger. Than aluminium silicon. is a lot bigger because application-wise is so big. Mm, uh, you think right. about the generalist, is the, Cheapest, consider the cheapest. The only thing that lose uh, aluminum loses out on is actually conductivity. Because mm-hmm. conductivity, the best is actually gold. Yeah, but yeah, there's, but only, so gold, gold, there's right? only so much gold, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but aluminum, you think about it, aircraft, uh, cars, so many things are uh. buildings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, buildings. So so many things are. Uh. Whereas for silicon metal, I think from my uh, from my personal opinion, I think. The time is growing because the application for yeah, using exactly. it is, is, is growing. It's, 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 yeah. I think uh, the, the question yeah. is room for growth. The, yeah. room, the growth. How much? Uh, yes, yeah. yes. How much room for growth? How much are people willing to or developing new uh, new products for mm. the lack of a better word using this 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 yeah. element You know, it's not even an element. Sorry, it's a it's a yeah. compound, right? A compound. Yeah, it's a compound. Yeah, it's a compound. Yeah. So so look here. So like PMB tech is like three and a half billion. <laughs> Then uh, our good friend Press Metal is uh, 50, 50 billion. <laughs> Again, not financial advice. Yeah. Yeah. But not here's not financial advice. I think one thing that's going to drive, right? If, if it ever like, goes from 3.5 to close to 50, right? Yeah. The key, guys, is bonus issue. <laughs> <laughs> we need that, you know? We need the bonus issue, you know? Like, uh, you know, it worked, right? So, <laughs> like... Yeah. Like, see, press, yeah. press, press metals, guys, press metals price is lower than PMB. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. See, these are 16 If I'm not mistaken, uh, press yeah. metal did easily five, four to five times a bonus issue. Easily, uh, easily. It's the key. We need to bring <laughs> bonus issue to 160. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, Probably uh, tell that to MPI as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think MPI is already considering, you know, maybe yeah, I'm yeah, my yeah. guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, so what's interesting is that, like, it's uh, even even though the market cap is smaller and all that, yeah. mm. and the growth potential is a lot higher, but the valuations, right, for PMB attack is like 30 times, and then mm. you're looking at and then 50 for press metal. Yeah, so, right? Huh. Yeah, yeah. P growth? Interesting, Market yeah. cap growth, you know? And not only that, yeah. if, you, if you look at uh, P metal, in terms of other aluminum producers in the world, I think their big advantage is, yes, it's cost, lah, but if you talk about operating, yes, see, see. Uh, who are the other? Uh, Alcoa. You heard of Alcoa? Yeah. I so this is it. for P metal, is it? Yeah, for P metal. Okay. Alcoa, Chef Price. Uh. I I don't know this industry very well, but yeah, this, yeah. these are the names that I can. So it's about 30? 30, 32? But it's okay. We're mm. sure we got premium. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Scarcity premium. Scarcity yeah, premium. World's yeah. sixth largest producer of aluminium, Alcoa. Yeah. The, the reason why I remember Alcoa, you know why not? Um, 
earnings season, they'll always be the first to announce results. Right. Wow. Yeah, okay. and it starts with A. So oh, okay. yeah, so okay. that's why okay. it always okay. rings a bell to me. Okay, right? okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. So yeah, anyway, for PMB tech travelers, you know, 50 times earnings. Yeah, I think value. it's not financial advice. But yeah, it's really interesting. <laughs> la, like, yeah. uh, and you can see like how management behaves. Like they, they find all these key patterns like, oh, um, I look at, um, I want to be in an industry where the demand, I don't have to think about it. Yes, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and, 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 and I just need to control costs. I need to hopefully generate operating leverage. And, and, and that's it. Exactly, right? exactly. And hopefully no more lockdown. Yeah. Yeah. But what would be interesting is to figure out, right, if there's any country in the world that has, you know, our kind of costs, mm. but also have the kind of like the Bakun dams and the, you're saying the uh, Yeah, there they, they, they are only a few around. Uh, so if you're, uh, if you're, Alcom, Alcom's last uh, quarterly investor briefing actually showed a map of, uh, I, th I believe it was Alcom. I might, I might be wrong, but there are only, I would say, go as far to say probably about a handful of plants in the silicon metal plants in the world they're able to source the energy from new, from from new renewable energy. Right. Yeah. And do you remember roughly the other uh, countries? Oh, I believe some of them are in the, the in North America ah. and some of them are in Scandinavia. Perfect. So yeah. the cost is, is definitely higher. Yeah. Because yeah. what is interesting about the Bakundem when we were looking at press metal for another presentation was that uh, not only are they renewable, but they are cheap. Mm, yes, well. Actually, yeah. the, the guys who run the Bakundam, I don't know how they make money, la, honestly. Mm. And John, maybe as a Sarawakian, you can yeah. Yeah. share. Actually, if, uh, this one goes back to history. <laughs> la. And I, actually, there's this, there's this podcast that we, MJ and I've talked about, but we mm. haven't had the time to do it yet. It was actually with regards to Nazir Razak's book. Right. Yeah. So the reason why, okay, so why why Nazir Razak and yeah. CIA? Yeah, yeah, I remember this part. Yeah, yeah it, because, like, it didn't make economic sense because uh, Nazir Razak was, was against... Uh, uh, Tun Mahathir's uh, uh, wanting to build this up, right? Bakun, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And also, it was Bakun, the Bakun Dam and Ekran was the own the reason why CMB only suffered loss the one year of that year. Yeah, correct. That year, yeah. 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 Because um, they were mm. trying to find long to short huge excess of capacity because Sarawak doesn't need that kind of energy. Yeah, uh, and it was uneconomical to actually draw or to. To, to lay a cable all the way from Sarawak over to West Malaysia to supply the grid here. So they were at a loss and PNB, uh, P, uh, Press Matter, probably right time, right place, uh, offered to take up a lot of this energy, which I think they took taken up almost all. It was dirt cheap and, and a very low tariff. And I think it works. It's kind of like win-win. Mm. There's someone taking out the power. Yes, if you look at it as if the Sarawak government or Sarawak Energy specifically mm. actually lost out in that in, mm. in that deal, but then again, better better someone taking out the power yeah, no, than nothing no one. La. Nothing lah. Nothing does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, there was quite a lot of environmental damage actually to based on Bakun. But I guess what's done is done. La. You can't undo whatever Bakun yeah. did already. Yeah. yeah. But so yeah, Sarawak is still a beautiful place. So not yeah. too bad. You know. <laughs> yeah. 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 So yeah, I I, I think that's a very interesting. Uh, you share your thoughts about valuation and how you think that it's on the top three side. And yeah, thank you for at sharing. At the moment. At the I, moment, yeah. Yeah, at the moment. So um, now, uh, thanks for sharing all these three companies. I think we're coming towards the end, but I didn't really have a couple of questions left for me. I think the first one is, 
when you look at, so we talked a lot about uh, like the, the details, the, the bottoms up approach of looking at investing. So mm. maybe let's go uh, higher up, right? The 30, 50%, uh, uh, 50,000 feet view uh, on the portfolio uh, uh, level first, which is how do you think about like managing your portfolio? Like how many stocks do you have? And then when you look at a company, do you, are you like, you know, I'm just going to put it all in or are you going to like scale in? And then when you sell, do you sell everything or do you scale out? How do you manage when, you know, a, a stock is like too much of your portfolio or in your estimation right, of too right. much of your portfolio? What is too much? Things mm -hmm, like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Maybe you can give us a sense of how you manage your portfolio. Okay, the first one would be that um, my portfolios are generally f considered focused portfolios. Mm. So they don't, in, a, in essence, contain stocks more than 10. Mm. More than 10 stocks. Okay. Yep. Okay. And so the I would say the benefit of that is that uh, I'm able to keep track of the companies in a much more in much more intimate way. You know, mm. like I am able to to be more uh in touch with what's going on. And as well as that, because I think um the thing about companies there's a lot of things going on all the time. Oh yeah, exactly. Right? And there's there's always this thing be like uh that it makes it easier as well if I also want to to find a better investment at mm. the same time. So it helps a lot. For, okay, so for example, uh, we were talking about Supercomnet. So yes. at one point, at one point, I bought Supercomnet around the the price was okay. It was one one ringgit twenty cents to one ringgit thirty cents plus minus, and then at that time it touched very close to two ringgit. I think it was uh, sometime last year, okay, mid mid or mid second half or third quarter of last year, and at that time, Sam Engineering was was trading at a price of between uh, thirteen to fifteen ringgit, okay, right, and and then that was when I assessed like okay, Supercarnet looks overvalued, at this moment in time, uh, let's say if the net profit was forty million next year, mm. and so I decided okay, Sam Engineering looks uh. By by my estimation of Sam Engineering, um, that time was about conservatively at twenty five ringgit. Mm. That was my estimation of uh, so called intrinsic value for Sam Engineering. Mm -hmm. And so at that price, Supercornet just you know, as Kinda a stock, like, right? Not as a company, but as a stock. Don't fall in love with the stock. Yeah, yeah. So so that was when okay, I decided to to take away Escomnet from my portfolios and then to buy Sam Engineering, mm. and. And then uh, I remember I, I posted this this article on Stopbit titled "Sell uh, uh, Opinion dot dot uh, Sam Engineering a Sell." Yeah. So I posted it on Stopbit. It was just before bef because okay. So so I held Sam Engineering until the time just maybe about a month or a bit ago, mm -hmm. when I felt that okay, I think at this price, Sam Engineering is not being priced for its aerospace segment segment yeah but it's actually being priced for its contract manufacturing slash equipment division yeah right so the re-rating came not because of his aerospace division well it but it, it came from, from the equipment. Uh, yeah from equipment segment so for me applying Occam's razor again I just looked at it purely as a, a contract manufacturer it's equipment mm. division right mm. and so it was trading at around 20 22 ringgit ish 22 23 and then I felt that okay I think there's more downside at this at this point in time than okay. upside of course I was speaking more into terms of short term than long term but this is how I manage my portfolio mm. like I risk is a big part big part of it and I felt that Sam engineering at that price presented a lot of risk of course some of the the people who who 
uh, who are proponents of SAM engineering said that, okay, you know, the price is very resilient because um, one of the, some of the major shareholders are Capital Dynamics yeah. and mm-hmm. Public Mutual. So yeah, these are one of the most steadier hands like in the market. Yeah, diamond hands and, up. Yeah. and rightly so. But of course, since then, uh, the price has also dropped quite a bit. This, you must be talking the prices are pre- Pre-bonus. Pre, pre-bonus right? issue, right? There was pre-bonus issue. When was the and so, bonus? I so the bonus was one for one. It was, uh, no, it was, no, it was four. four. Uh, three for one, I think. Or four oh, for one. Okay, okay, so okay. yeah, it just- So now it would be 10. La. So 16, I think. I believe it's equivalent to 16. Uh, four, okay. is it? If it's one for three, so you times three uh, the, uh, yeah. the current price, so it's about 10, 11. Uh. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, uh, so wow, I mean, it, it's, uh, it, it's, been, it's been a big drop since then. And so this is where I apply my form of uh, risk management. And for me, for those actively managed portfolios, uh, this is what I constantly do when it comes to portfolio managing that, okay, I always look at the price and be like, okay, uh, how much of the company's future profit has been baked in already? Mm. And if there's a very strong likelihood that because of the current climate right now that the stock may drop quite a lot, yeah. Then and and I and I'm able to find a better investment, then th- yeah. This then is what I do. Then yeah. I, move on. I remember yeah. we chat with you. You were saying that I, I think you got out at eighteen, right? Pre pre bonus. Sam engineering. Yeah. Well, yeah. no, it's above twenty ringgit, twenty one okay. or twenty two. And then that's it's, when you shifted to Ancom, right? Yes, yes, yes. Right. That's when I shifted. Right, when that's right. when I thought, okay, I think uh, Ancom is in a space where its PE can grow, mm. and it has got it's got the the growth catalyst as well mm. for for both of its segments. So right. I thought, yeah, nice, nice. So I thought, of course, I'm not I'm not trying to say that you should be timing these things. Yeah. But I should say that okay, from your your mental model of of risk management and valuation that these that this this sort of uh, uh, movements in your portfolio managing can be done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a good point because um, both of us miss Vitrox. Right, right. And the reason why we missed it was because we kept on saying, well, P is high, whatever. Mm. But the recent tech sell down uh, was actually a good opportunity for not just Vitrox, but a lot of companies. Definitely. Oh, so many here. Yeah. yeah, it's like, I look at it, it's on like, sale. I can't believe that some of these are selling for 20 times PE, 25 right. times PE, right? right. Which, which in the past, for you to get even at 30 PE would be a bargain, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. 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 So so that's one of the, the debates right now in the investment community, right? Yeah. Like, like of, yes, like investors are in a way willing to pay more for yeah. high growth companies. Yes. But, but on the three year sense or five year sense, how much? Yes. Yeah. You know? So it's not as, as a, it's not as easy as it is as it seems yeah. to 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 be able to, to discern able, yes. to discern right because yes. okay, like even different from different tech companies there are different parts of the value chain they have different their margins are different yeah yeah their 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 business model is so different I, yeah. I, I remember you know? I was saying this to my Penang Penang uh, investor friends it's like mm. can you imagine buying Vitrox at a P of seventy and they they were making what I think roughly three hundred million revenue mm. a year. Versus that of TSMC, which is a global leader in foundry and all that, which yeah. is selling which to is selling you at a PFP of, of 30, 20, 30, yeah. 30, 30 to 20, 28 to 30 times. Uh, PE, right. Uh, right? Yeah. So it, for me, it doesn't make valuation sense. Mm. Uh, right. But now, uh, truth be told, you know, Vitrox has not dropped to below. The, let me see, what is Vitrox? Uh? I think it's probably about 20-ish, no, 30-ish. 
30-ish kind of valuation. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess, I guess again, not a buy or sell call. It's just mm-hmm. that, you know, sometimes opportunity presents itself. And here we are trying to justify that it's, you know, oh, it's still too high or whatever. Lah. So, yeah, man. By the way, uh, I want to ask you as well. Wow, oh, P at 17. Nice. Yeah, but this this may be wrong because they did not take okay. into account the bonus issue apparently. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, I want to ask you like, what are some of the, the, the disasters that you've uh, experienced? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, any? this is an easy one. <laughs> Air Asia. <laughs> ah. <laughs> okay. So, so um, okay, yeah, this is what was one of the, the things as well that really spurred me on to, to, uh, to, to really look into investing uh, at a deeper level. Yeah. Because at that time, the time I was just like any other blind retail investor, mm, right? Mm, mm. Asia, dividend yield, 30 plus percent. Yeah. You know, but I did, I did feel that uh, at that time when Asia sold all of their assets mm. so to this to leasing, leasing company, company so that you could lease it back. I'm not sure if that made sense. I'm not sure. But at that time, I was like, you know what? Like the, the dividend yields was so high. You know, like I just- But it was a once-off, ma, remember? Yeah, exactly, yeah. right? <laughs> so um, uh, I think, and of course, COVID came. Yes. Right? And then the, the stock plummeted. I th- the stock plummeted from well over three ringgit to yeah. 80 cents or something like that. Yeah. Right? And so, uh, yeah, I think those is, uh, I would consider one of my big disasters for Asia because, you know, like I think- uh, investors should not be mis- mistaken into buying, you know, like sexy companies, right? Because Asia, I, I, I suppose that time was considered like a very sexy company, yeah. right? Yeah. And everyone talked about Asia, right? And, you know, I think there's a certain, um, there's a certain seductiveness to airline companies, I think. Yeah. yeah. Right. Because it's a, it's a front facing brand. Yeah. You've got a very suave CEO. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I've lost money in Asia too. So, you know, yeah. Yeah. Capital A, Capital A. Now now it's called Capital A. So, but so far, ever since then, I've managed to minimize my risk because uh, I just, uh, yeah, I just decided, decided the entry price is important yeah. and use time. Time is your friend and not your enemy. And uh, how, how do you, yeah. so you, I'm, my, my guess based on what you've just said, you probably have a watch list. Mm. And uh, every time, is there a price alert or a tool that you use to alert yourself of what companies you have in your watch list? And that that's I actually your, don't. I actually don't use that. Yeah, but uh, you, I'm I'm guessing that you have to look at the prices almost like every other week or one once a day. Yeah, something like that. So ah, so okay. what I try to do is that I don't log into my brokerage account. I just have that that app ah. on, on on Apple. Okay. Then it just tells you what the prices are every I day. I see. So th- that's where you get uh, some sort of an alert mechanism. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. yeah. Got it, got it. Yeah. Got it. All right, man. So final question. This will be the a more general one, mm. which is, uh, I know you write uh, letters to your investors as well. So mm. and you talk a lot about um, what's happening like in global markets, like from a yeah. macro From a macro point right? of view. So yeah, I mean, I'll just throw a few words, right? Your, your interest rates, your inflations, mm. your whatever right so what 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 have you told your 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 investors and what will you tell some of our listeners regarding the global macro <laughs> okay this, this was this this is interesting because uh before 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 the 2022 correct big correction happened in january i was also you know everyone was talking about the interest rates that were going to come right and so 
uh, I was also reading uh, up on how the stock markets behave during interest rate hikes mm. back in 2000. I believe it was the first, the last one was 2017, the, the interest rate hike cycle. And the one before that was 2014, I think. Mm. Okay. Right. And so in both times, uh, the, the stock market, NASDAQ, S&P, Dow Jones, they all went up yep. in accordance to uh, the, the interest rate hike. Mm. So, the, the correlation between stock prices and interest rates, um, of course, discount cash flow valuation tells you otherwise that yeah. they are negatively correlated, yep. right? But actually that's not the case because most of the time uh, interest rate hikes go come happens in such a way that it coincides with economic growth as well. Yes, yes. So, um, but what's very different from this last two cycles is that they didn't have a very high inflation. Mm. Okay, so so we are faced in a faced with a very different situation, similar but yet quite different as well. And so I do think that the the premise that that economic growth, a sustainable economic growth that offsets uh, inflation, uh, is is still healthy for for equities. But mm. in this case, right. We have very increasing, even in the US right now, inflation is increasing. It's now is touching 8% already, 7.9%. Yes, in Europe, depending UK or the rest of the US, it's between 5 to 6%. And in yeah. Malaysia, I think we're touching 3.5%. Yes. I think the last one is 3.3, right? Yeah. The inflation I think rate. there was a peak in Malaysia, CPI was about 5, you know, if I'm not right, mistaken. Yeah, right. but I, I, it's on a down, slightly on a downtrend, right? Mm. Yeah, continue, please. Okay. And so, uh, my, and so I tried, so, so for the 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 stocks that um that I I wrote when when I was talk, when I was writing my letter to my investors I was saying okay this is uh, how we can best manage it without predicting what will happen to the stock market mm. right and so one of the things is that these companies will need to have some form of inflation uh, inflation hitch or yeah. pricing power yeah. or they're able to at least pass on their material costs to their clients yep. mm, mm. right and so uh the the about 80 to 90% of the companies that I had in the portfolios at that time mm. actually had free cash flow. Mm. Uh, they are able to, they had pricing power to some extent. They were had inflation age. They were able to pass on the material costs to their, to their clients. And uh, they had strong balance sheets to weather anything that would happen to them. Mm. And let's say if COVID uh, uh, lockdowns happen again, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Because of course, uh, retrospectively, you know, hindsight 2020 is perfect, but that in that at that point it was that was the best way to um to hedge against uh, what was happening and at that time as well I started assessing all the tech technology companies that I had in my portfolios mm, mm, mm. and so some companies forward PE still made sense but some did not and so one of them was uh was DNO mm. right at that time uh DNO's forward PE I estimated was about forty plus yeah 40 that's plus. forward PE okay. that was at a point when it was about seven <laughs> yeah, something yeah right? seventy plus yeah, PE seven, right? no seven ringgit something lah. Oh uh, yes. Oh, I'm not sure if we touched seven ringgit. Maybe six did, ringgit you know? plus. Let me see, um, yeah. But I remember the DNO's PE was about seventy to eighty. Yeah, seventy to eighty. Yes. And then I knew that in this point, right? I think uh, for risk management's sake, even though I, even though the company is fantastic, mm. the business is fantastic, I I needed to start trimming DNO mm. definitely, and um, yeah, and of course uh. My timing was not so bad. Mm. The NO did, did drop quite a lot, but it was all but all the other tech stocks in my portfolios as well also dropped. Yeah. Right. And so that was one of the ways that I managed my portfolios at that time. I see. Right. So so that was more on the portfolio management side. Mm. And then um uh 
Yeah, and that was the gist of it. Besides the explaining the the stocks behind the stocks, that was literally what I I wrote to my investors. Like, okay, the best way for us to to hedge against this is that the companies are able to make free cash flow, which they know did not have. Yeah, and uh, they and uh, they need to have a reasonable forward PE. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so that's one part. So to the other part of your question about my view on the macro environment, I do think that uh, Jerome Powell's job is probably the worst job right now. In oh the world, yeah, yeah. Right. So no matter what you do, probably them, get a lot of hate. Then if you do them, if you from, don't, lah. Yeah. <laughs> and I actually think that there's not much things you can do apart from exactly. up or down. You know. Yeah. Interesting enough, I I I'm of the view that okay, so you have so, I think the thing about inflation is that. Inflation is made out of many different components, right? All right. these commodities, they all add up together to have, and then yeah. they say, oh, this is inflation. Yes, yes. Right? So sometimes it's, it's a matter of like, are you talking about crude oil? Are you talking about agricultural prices? Correct. Are you talking about nickel prices, palladium? Yeah. What are you talking about, right? Yeah. But overall inflation is, is causing uh, quite a lot of difficulties to the market. And so, um, but right now I am of the view that that the inflation is high more because of supply chain disruption and not mm. because of demand not so much on demand I mm. think mm. and so but the thing is that if the Federal Reserve increases interest rates to a very high extent then it chokes demand right but it's the one it's the supply part that's causing inflation yes, exactly. right so if you choke the demand inflation it, it, it might cause quite a lot of havoc to the market and you might not actually solve inflation right they're trying to wave a very big one to solve. They, they're trying to swat a fly. If I, mm. what you're trying to say, swat a fly using a very, very big stick. La. The problem yeah. is that the stick may, may, may not end up hitting Imagine the fly. Imagine trying to swat a fly with a badminton racket. Yeah. So I feel like that, that's what might happen, you know? Yeah, exactly. Because, so let, assuming that, let's say, let's say the US economy is not really growing at the pace that the market expects, mm. then you get stagflation, right? High yeah. inflation and not enough economic growth Correct. to offset the inflation. But I would say that if the Federal Reserve uh, does not pick the right decision, mm. then I think that that could really well happen actually. Yeah. Because you don't want to, you want to manage inflation, but without choking too much growth. Correct, correct. So you correct. have this insane balancing act, right? Yes. And of course, I wouldn't want to be in Jerome Powell's shoes. Yeah. Right, I, and you know, it's, uh, I, I think, but overall, I do think that inflation, that this high inflation uh, stage we are, is here to stay. Mm. That's what I think. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go as far to say that it's tran transitory. Tra transitory. Um, I think transitory means that it goes up and then go back down mm. to the same level. Mm -hmm. I would say that it will go up and then it become more sustainable by a bit more higher levels, I yeah. think. Because uh, in the end of the day, um, end of the day, in, then, there needs to be the, the, the right, right growth and consumption for that, for, for inflation. But at the same time, I, I really don't think that the Federal Reserve will be increasing the interest rates the, the, the way that the market thinks that they would be. <laughs> yeah, that's just my view. Seven to nine rate hikes, that's like, yeah. Three whole percentages, right? Yeah, you want to destroy the uh, the people's pensions just do yeah, it. Yeah, that's and then even can you imagine like over the week the 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 COVID pandemic, uh, all the people that were buying houses. Yeah. yeah, you can imagine like the increase in the mortgage rates as well. Oh yeah, you know? yeah. So because interest rates are not variable, uh, they're variable. Correct. Interest rates, yeah, they're not. It's like not like a fixed interest rate they're yeah. paying for, right? In the mortgage, it's, it's you know? not. It's not a sukuk. Oh, it's not a you know Islamic loan. Yeah, exactly. But even fix, yeah. Islamic loan is quite high, right? The interest it's rate. It's about. I mean, during my during the times I remember, it was probably about ten percent. 
yeah, fixed, fixed rate over 30 yeah, years. Exactly. Uh, yeah, that's what oh, I heard wow. as well. Yeah. So, you know, right? So yeah. there you go. Like, can can the Federal Reserve actually um, afford that, to uh, yeah. to increase interest rates so high and then shock the market? I, I think they can't. Yeah. I really think they can't. I think the best at the moment is probably 25, 50 basis points. And, yes. And please leave the market alone. Yeah. Right? Let, let, let it sort itself out. Put it this yeah, way. Yeah. Yeah. So I think inflation is very interesting. Maybe uh, there's an interesting story I also want to share about inflation. Mm, I think please. not many people will know about this, uh, but I, I was sharing to MJ uh, yeah. before this. Um, so last Christmas, I went to go, um, I, I went to, to visit the, the Louis Vuitton shop. Okay. Right. So, so I, I went there with my, my girlfriend at that time. Yeah. And I, when I went there, I was looking at some of the stuff, some of the, the shoes, you know, and, uh, and of course the handbags. And then uh, the, the worker at the time was like, if you buy it, if you don't uh, buy by the end of February or March, we will mm -hmm. hike it up another four to 6% or yeah. something like that. Yeah. So I was like, why? I was like, oh, this is this is what we do, yeah. right? And we we increase our pri the prices of our products three to four times a year, yes, right? And that make and then every every time it's like five percent plus minus, yes, you know? yes, yes. So can you imagine like like we're talking about inflation, right? And there's a hedge for inflation, yeah, right? You know, even Louis Vuitton products these days <laughs> are like the perfect hedge for inflation if not even better yeah. as well so so i thought that was very interesting because you know um there's a thing about louis vuitton products right it's like they say that diamonds are a girl's best friend mm. but handbags are just a girl's lifetime partner yeah, yeah. i think like, i literally just saw this um this 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 worker count and this couple they were buying they were buying something i don't know what they were buying yeah. but in cash is it they bought in cash so this is count <laughs> worker counting watts of cash and then probably I, they just, just put a machine in. Yeah, yeah, they were just like, you know, they were there for, he was, he was there for like half an hour and both of them <laughs> were just counter checking each other, you know. Yeah. And this is not like a buy call, but then I was like, wow, this is like the power of branding, your brand, yeah. right? And even your brand in relation to inflation, yeah, right? And I thought, Wow, this is uh, this is also it could be a company to and to, and, and to look actually, at as well. um, you know, we had a, we had one of our SIB clients also considered a friend. Now he's been on a podcast before, so he's actually an investor in LVMH. Right. And, okay. and if you think about it in terms of economics, uh, it's a category of product that the more expensive it is, the more people want to buy it. Because it's it's a very different yeah. way of thinking about businesses where mm -hmm. we think that most businesses scale, economics of scale, yeah, bring yeah. down prices and all that. Yeah. That is for survivability. Mm -hmm. So you talk about food and all that. Mm -hmm. But in this segment, um, and, and I link this to another uh, pet peeve I have on, on the cars is that, so there was this, he was vice president for Bugatti sales. Right, okay. He said when someone buys a Bugatti, it's not to get from A to B, you know. Yeah. It's a product of emotion. It's a yeah, product yeah, of yeah. pride. Yeah, a product of ego, yeah. right? So, yeah, definitely. so when, when you just imagine, so the joke I have, I mean, encapsulating all this, the joke I have is you don't walk into a, a, a Louis Vuitton shop and ask, what's the discount of the month? Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. Right? It, it doesn't work that way. Stop so, and say, what, what's the, what's the price what, what's hike the most, uh, What's the price hike? Or what's the most expensive? <laughs> yeah. What's the yeah, most yeah, limited yeah. edition, right? So yeah, yeah. I think why is this important and pertinent to investors? It's not that, I know some of us may not be able to afford it or whatever, but if you think of it from a point of an investor, mm. you look exactly. and understand the rules of the game. Mm. Because of the rules of the game, when you invest in something like a DNO and a Vtrox, is really a price game, value mm. for money, exactly. whatever. 
Whereas when you choose to play and invest in the rules of the game of that business, it's really about exclusivity, mm, it's about yeah. that, right? So it's a very different rule. And mm. I think that's the beauty of our investor. When you build mental models that suit businesses and understand these businesses well and understand demand, mm. because you're here to solve a problem. And what mm. is the problem that Louis Vuitton is solving mm. is actually a problem of ironically ego, <laughs> yeah. right? Ironically, uh, a status symbol, uh, exactly. whatever. So status symbol is not about being cheaper, you know, it's not about mm. value. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you remind me of something the CEO of Ferrari said, which yeah. was that we always sell one, uh, we always sell uh, one less car than demand. Yeah. They always sell one less car than demand. So it's quite cool. And yeah. It's interesting that even during the COVID pandemic, uh, Louis Vuitton was doing so well. Uh, exactly, yeah. exactly, you know? exactly. Yeah. Wow. We, yeah. we know friends that were trading bags. So yeah, we know friends that wow. yeah, were trading bags and the so second become an asset, right? Secondhand yeah. bag market, bag market actually blossomed because people could not travel. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So you wanna you wanna you wanna tell us what you you told your then girlfriend after you? <laughs> oh, so you can't. <laughs> oh, sure. So 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 at that time we were we were lining up right, so we had time because in Louis Vuitton they only. You can you can have a certain amount of people there. Yeah, exactly. Right, and so so. <laughs> <laughs> I I just looked up uh what Louis LVMH share price did. So yeah. over five years, it did quite close to three hundred percent. Okay. And then I told you told your, your dad I told girlfriend. My girlfriend at the time was like, "Can you imagine the the amount of money you spend on your bags? Imagine you just put it there." And you invested in Louis Vuitton. Imagine how many more bags yeah, you, you could have bought button, now. Right? <laughs> and that is why now it's no, a actual friend. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then she was like, this this is the, the difference between you and me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's like a relationship tip, right? Like if your values with money don't match, you know, then- Yeah, spot on, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. spot on. Yeah, yeah. I think that's super important as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I completely get you and I completely agree because- uh, my first trip to the US, I actually bought a lot of coach bags for my wife because it was right, really right. cheap. Right. And it, 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 end up, it ends up in storage right now because yeah. my, my wife rather carry a, a, a rough- Vertical. Uh, yeah. A what? A uh, 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 recycle bag. Oh, oh, right, right. Fair enough. Yeah. Or a tote bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So That's really true. But that was so, a, I need to ask that because it was the perfect ending to this <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, You know, thank you yeah. so much for being on. Thank you for allowing you. us to be your first uh, thank you host in uh, the podcast. And, hope, uh, hope, hope you enjoyed the session, man. No, yeah. definitely. It went uh, much better than I expected. In, in, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, well, okay, okay. Three, three to four months time, we'll ask you three different stocks. Uh, that's oh yeah, sure, sure. sure. Yeah. I'll be right, very right. honored to come back on again. Yeah, this is one of the most uh, interesting and unique uh, podcasts, you know, started with, uh, with the Bible. Yeah. And then uh, and then with some relationship uh, yeah. advice, you know. Yeah. So yeah, uh, like if you want to find you, where where can they find you actually? Because I know you run a Telegram group okay. chat as well. Yes, right? I, I have a Telegram channel where I, I share some of my analysis, some of my thoughts as well as news. So you, if you're looking for me, you can find me. You can find me as Search Capital. So it's spelled as E-Q-U-I. S-E-A-R-C-H. I think capital. we'll leave a link in the comment yeah. section. Okay. Pass it to us. Yeah. And then uh, if you want, you can also follow me on Instagram, which is Leon Jake Lim. Okay. Yeah. And uh, you're act guys, not Leon, uh, guys. It's not Leon, guys. It's Leon. And Leon. you're quite active on Stockbit as well, right? Ah, uh, yes, yes. So at, on Stockbit, I'm yeah. also known as Leon Jake Lim. I have to Jake give Lim. our good friend Rondi a shout yeah, out. Yeah, you know? He keeps on saying, hey, please, 
promote StopBit. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, and I think StopBit is a fantastic place for even uh, people who are beginner investors mm. to even learn. Mm. Yeah. I think people are willing to teach there, right? Yeah, exactly. It's it's not, um you know, like the other- I3, I3. I3. So um, yeah, I think uh, the StopBit community is uh, a very healthy place and people are always really, very willing to share. Yeah. And, for me, like even when I was when even when I started researching uh, stocks, that's how I got connected with some with David Poe, mm. uh, David, David Poe po from, yeah. from Spiral yeah. Thinker, common yeah, friend, common friend yeah. and he and he is also very happy to share, and and I'm very thankful to David Poe as well yeah. because he was the ones that actually gave me some some uh, a guiding hand on how to look at KESM actually. I see. Yeah. So I give some credit to him as well. Yeah. Great. Yeah. All right, man. Guys, guys listening, 100%. I think this is a pretty long podcast, man. I think it's two and a half, two and a half, fifteen. Yeah, two and a half already. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it, it, if it's good, you know, it, it, it I flies, hope so. Man. I hope it so. Yeah. For sure, for sure it's good. Um, And yeah, guys, if you like some content, remember, you know, follow us on uh, Instagram, subscribe, notification bell, so you know when new fresh videos. And of course, if you enjoyed the podcast uh, and you know someone who might enjoy it, please share it with them. And of course, we're on Spotify as well. And guys, uh, signing off, see you in the next one. Thank you.